Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with astrologer Sylvie Osland about the planet Mars and what it means in astrology. Uh, hey, Sylvie, welcome. Hi, really happy to be here. Yeah, we've been planning this episode for a little while. This is the fourth or fifth installment in my series on the planets, where we do a deep dive into the meaning and the significations of each of the planets. Um, we're going to read through some passages from different ancient and modern astrological authors today in order to sort of guide the discussion and see how the tradition has treated the planet Mars and how it's changed and some of the ways that it's stayed the same. Um, I think you've watched some of the last episodes I did in this series, right? Yeah, yeah, they've been great. Super interesting oh. content. Okay, cool. Um, so that's that's kind of the program today. Um, and you are well known through your social media presence, through uh, the ha the uh, astrology for bros sort of branding, which is some of your your memes and things, and that's how I originally came across you on Twitter. Is that still part of your your thing, or or tell us a little bit about you as an astrologer? Yeah, um, the astrology for bros brand is still alive. That was something okay. that I started as um, a joke initially that I never expected to continue, but it's weirdly fitting for a Mars episode. Um, but then I'm also, you know, I'm also practicing and taking clients and working on things um, right. outside of the just kind of jokey meme world. Yes, and um, in terms of Mars, I'm breaking the mold a little bit. Where in this series, for the most part, I've focused on people that have uh, the planet under discussion as the ruler of the ascendant. Um, I think there was one where I didn't do that. I think Joe Gleason, it was just she had a very prominent uh, Mercury exalted in the sign of Virgo. So with you, we're kind of continuing that trend where Mars is not the ruler of your ascendant. However, you do have a, an exalted and very angular Mars, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, All uh, right. Cool. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that, maybe glance at your chart a little bit later on. Um, why don't we first start by? I wanted to show the uh, diagram that I usually show at the beginning of the show, which is made by our graphic designer Paula Bellamini, which shows the symbol or the glyph for Mars, as well as the different major dignities and so called debilities of Mars in the zodiacal signs, where Mars is said to rule or have its domicile or its home sign in the signs of Aries and Scorpio traditionally. And then the two signs opposite to that are said to be Mars's antithesis or detriment, which are the signs of Libra and Taurus. Then finally, Mars is exalted in Capricorn and has its fall or depression in the sign of Cancer. So that's pretty straightforward, right? Yep. Okay. And in terms of the, the glyph for Mars, that's also kind of similar. We talked about this a little bit in the last episode, where for whatever reason in the past century, those have also become um, sometimes the symbols used uh, gendered symbols for like men and women on like bathroom signs or other things like that, I believe as well. Yeah, yeah, they have been. And I heard you talk about that some in the Venus episode as well. Right. Um, yeah, and we'll get into a little bit more of that in terms of some of the gender issues with Mars. Um, so I think we did want to mention that the early on that because this is the first planet in the planetary series that is one of the traditional quote unquote malefic planets that has um, a good deal of significations that are more 
challenging or difficult or negative in addition to the positive or constructive ones that we wanted to give a little bit of a content warning that there will be some serious um, topics in this episode just because there are some pretty harsh topics that are under the domain of Mars, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, it can be tricky to deal with because um, it's weird to call a planet like bad or um, evil or something like that. But I like to think about it as like, you know, if astrology does reflect life and there are parts of life that are um, just unexplainably difficult in some way, there has to be some planet that talks about that to some extent. But that's also not to say that uh, Mars is completely those things or always indicates that or that the planet itself is like evil or horrible or along, you know, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just a really important distinction as a baseline that in order for there to be good things at some point in the world, there also has to be like the opposite and things that are subjectively like difficult or things that we would not prefer or even, you know, terrible things. And if astrology is something that's supposed to describe the world and describe our experiences of life, then it has to be able to touch on some of the more difficult topics in addition to the po- the positive ones. Yeah. And I think there can be some confusion around Mars in particular. Like one of the most common questions I get asked is kind of like, well, is Mars good? Or if it's in an exalted position, does that mean it's a positive thing in my chart? Or does that mean it's like a difficult thing? And it's really, um, it can represent both of those things. It more represents like extremes, which some of the translations can articulate a little bit better. But, um, you know, it can both represent really, really good things and difficult things. And um, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's. Um, and we'll see some of that in the um, passages that we're going to read through. We had kind of a debate about whether to start from the newer passages that sometimes do a better job of putting a more well-rounded spin on Mars versus some of the ancient passages that sometimes tend to leave, lean a little bit more heavily into some of the more negative significations of Mars. Um, I think we're going to start with the old passages in order to keep it consistent with most of the series, uh, but we'll sort of um, move into it a little bit more gently this time with a passage from a, a third-century astrologer named Porphyry that gives kind of a general take of some of the positive and negative significations. Yeah. Um, and I also would like to add um, with the kind of extremes of Mars. Mm-hmm. And as we're kind of reading through some of these texts, some of the things that it signifies um, that can seem really difficult, it also represents the capacity to prevent those things or to defend against them. Um, so it's not always necessarily indicating that it's going to be um, something really awful or difficult. It can also show people who um, are interested in the exact opposite of those matters. Yeah, like, um, you know, let's just give an example. So, for example, like um, Mars is sometimes associated with fire, and a negative signification could be like arsonists or like people that set things on fire randomly. But on the flip side of the coin, it could also signify firefighters and people like that put out fires. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great example. Yeah, so it has that dual sort of either side of the coin or other side of the coin possibility at all times, which is one of the reasons why um, we have to be able to explore the negative significations, but also realize that there can be 
a sort of constructive inversion of that, which sometimes occurs in astrology where there's people that work with difficult things uh, or in difficult environments, but they do so by helping out people that are in those difficult situations. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, all right, well, I want to share this is an illustration from our zodiac calendar, which just shows Mars and its domicile in Aries versus Mars and its traditional domicile in the sign of Scorpio. Um, but why don't we actually jump into our first passage? That way we can start talking right away about the significations in an ancient astrological context. Okay. So this first um, passage comes from the third century astrologer Porphyry of Tyre, uh, who was actually drawing on a much earlier text, probably from the first century CE, by an astrologer named Antiochus. Um, so Porphyry says, the star of Ares, which is Mars, is the Greek word for Mars, the star of Mars is fiery and blood red, and being much like a branding iron, it has command of the hottest blood in us, and the procreative impulse and the conceptions of women, of actions and dangers, and spiritedness, and anger, and audacity, and violence, and reckless affairs, and acute suffering, military ex expeditions, and war, and the use of iron and blows, and everything that occurs with swiftness and panic. It is called the fiery one." So that is, that is our first um, sort of passage and our first author of, of like a really ancient, going back 2,000 years to what some of the earliest astrologers were saying. That's kind of like a summary of, of how they viewed Mars and, and its astrological significations. Yeah, and you can see right off the bat, uh, Mars is dramatic. It's yeah, it has a flair for for the dramatic and for uh, extremes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being much like a branding iron. I like that because a metaphor that I use a lot for Mars is, um, you know, it has all of these connotations of like. Anger and impulsiveness, or you know, here it says acting with recklessness. Um, but um, I think about Mars a lot as the reaction that you would have if you put your hand on a hot stove. Right. Um, it's like Mars is heat, and it's kind of that, um, like just innate response to things. So you don't sit there when your hand is on the stove and like think about the philosophical implications. You're not really using that part of your brain. You're just kind of like, oh my God, this thing is happening. And you just you just react without thought or quickly and usually with swearing. Right. Which is another good signification of Mars that we'll come to later, uh, swearing. But yeah, so it's concentrated or extreme heat. So it's not like the you know, lovely afternoon walk in the park and feeling like the sun on your face sort of heat. It is the, you know, putting your hand on a stove or being branded by like a hot poker type heat that's extreme and concentrated and can sometimes be be um, painful. Yeah. And but then on the other side, it can also be metaphorically like the sort of passion that forces you into action or the sort of thing that like gets you out of bed in the morning, the sort of thing that's like, oh, I just I absolutely have to follow whatever this is. It's motivating in that way. 
Right. The sort of extreme um, spirit of not maybe not inspiration, but of, of energy and vigor and a sort of directedness that um, is experienced as, as uh, being provoked to action. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And some of this, some of the significations come from even just looking up in the night sky. So here's a like an illustration of Mars that I got from like a graphic site from Adobe that says it's partially illustrated or based on some illustration from NASA. Um, so when you look up in the night sky, each of the planets, just with like the naked eye without a telescope or anything, each of the planets look like little stars if they're visible during that part of the year. And Venus and Jupiter are these two sort of white twinkling stars, but Saturn is this very di somewhat dim sort of brownish star, and Mars is this reddish star where it actually appears red to the uh, naked eye, and that's partially because of you know it's covered in red sand for the entire planet. So it has this like rust or red looking um, appearance. And so red becomes like a dominant theme with Mars and is part of the reason why it gets connected to other things that are red, like uh, blood, for example. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very imposing. It was really cool last summer to have it be so close to the earth and really get to get a sense of like why people would come up with those significations just from watching it. It's very imposing. Yeah. When it was retrograde in, in Aries in 2020. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting how you can take some of those things. So there's like blood, of course, as an association, some things that are connected with that. But even in modern times, we have um, phrases like when a person is seeing red, they're said to be like super angry or they're just like enraged in anger. And so culturally, we still have some of these connotations of red sometimes being associated with that archetype of like anger, anger or brashness or other. Martian type themes. Yeah, totally. And then there's that whole um even like the the Mars redhead study that Judith Hill did mm. looking at uh it was looking at the prevalence of red hair in uh people who had the genetic possibility for red hair um and the placement of Mars in charts and it was like a peer reviewed uh, study through a university that showed an actual correlation. Uh, did it actually? I thought the thing with that was that it didn't end up showing a correlation. I think that was for the one with Mars and athletes, but um, for her study, it it did show a, a conclusive correlation. Okay, yeah, I was just relooking at the episode I did on the Gokulin research and the Mars effect um, in astrology, which was like episode. 173 of the astrology podcast and that was the first statistical study that seemed to show some correlation between the planets and life on earth and um, the that study went back and forth with the scientific community about being validated or not validated several times but its association was that um, Mars tended to be either rising or culminating more, in the birth charts of eminent sports athletes compared to normal people. So it was like basically positing a connection between athletes and Mars. Yeah. Um, I know she talks about that some in her study. She has like a little mini either lecture set or a book you can get on it, but 
Um, I know that she's talked about that in lectures and um, some of the classes that I've taken from her. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so going back to this, there's actually a couple other passages that I wanted to show of some early authors um, before we move on, but these others might help us to contextualize a little bit of of Mars and its ancient meanings. So one of them that I wanted to show is Iamblichus, who was a philosopher from like the third or fourth century, and his famous text on the mysteries. And at one point, he has this digression where he's actually arguing with Porphyry, who is the guy in the last passage, and they're having an argument about the planets and how they can be relevant to individuals and distinctions like benefic and malefic. And Iamblichus says, the emanation deriving from Saturn tends to pull things together, while the emanation deriving from Mars tends to provoke motion in them. However, at the level of material things, the passive generative receptacle receives the one as rigidity and coldness, and the other as a degree of inflammation exceeding moderation. So, this is kind of an interesting discussion. It was part of the ancient discussion and back and forth about the discussion of benefic and malefic planets, or that so-called that distinction between benefic and malefics, and how and why people could experience some planets as being more constructive and other planets as being more destructive in different ways. And part of the justification that actually goes back to Ptolemy, and you'll see Ptolemy in the second century making a similar distinction where he says that as part of his basic definition of benefics and malefics, that the benefics tend to be more moderate in what they signify and the types of actions that they provoke in people and things, whereas the malefics were seen as indicating extremes of things like hot or cold. And so that Mars, often some of its more challenging significations derive from these notions of like extreme heating. Or inflammation and other things like that. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of uh, Mars things can be difficult because since it represents more extreme situations in life, there's not as many instances for Mars to kind of have like appropriate outlets. You know, um, it's, it, I kind of think about um, the significations of the planets and, uh, you know, what sounds more useful, like Venus is flowers and, Jupiter is like abundant food and Mars is like weapons and fire. Like most of the time, what would you rather have? Like, well, flowers and food usually is nicer. But if you're like lost in the wilderness or somebody's attacking you or something like that, then it would kind of suck to have flowers and food instead of like weapons and fire. Yeah. And one of the ways I think about that and the way that it often comes up is in, um, you know Mars and Venus having this contrast, especially with each of them having signs of the zodiac that are opposite to each other, where Aries is opposite to Libra and Scorpio is opposite to Taurus. So Venus and Mars's significations are often opposite to each other, but the sort of flip side of the same coin in some sense. But I was thinking about that recently about how we fo focused a lot in the Venus episode about Venus indicating beauty. And I'm not sure, well, it does indicate that part of the underlying thing that's like an overarching signification is just harmony and Venus representing 
things which are harmonious or whatever the broader archetype of harmony is. And what's interesting with Mars is that it kind of signifies the opposite, um, which is like a sort of things that are not harmonious necessarily. Um, yeah, and, and that's part of the contrast between Venus and Mars is like things that are harmonious versus things that are not necessarily harmonious or things that are, do not necessarily get along well with others, which goes back to this um, difference where Venus's significations tend to unify and bring things together, and Mars significations tend to divide or sever or separate things into separate parts. Yeah, totally. But then it gets into the whole um, peace and war significations, where um, actually it requires a lot of energy to maintain peace, and kind of vice versa. And so they can play into each other that way. And it, yeah, it shows their uh, opposite rulership really well through those, I think. But then there's also kind of the, you know, a little bit of um, Mars and its detriment. So the signs of, um, Venus, Taurus, and Libra. It's kind of like if you have all of this energy and you're hanging out in a place that um, is just like a nice party where everyone's trying to relax, but say you're having a panic attack or like you for whatever reason, like just feel like you really need to like get up and run. Um, it's a lot harder to find a place or an outlet to make that happen within those signs. So it can be really uncomfortable to find that. And then Simultaneously, it's it's bad to be out at war with a like free hug sign or something for Venus and Mars ruled signs. Yeah, well, that's one of the and that's the funny interchange and gets us probably more than any other signs of the zodiac more into understanding what it's like for a planet to be in its domicile and have access to its own resources versus being in the sign opposite to the one that it rules and having to take on. The resources of another planet in order to do its job, and the sort of awkwardness that can sometimes result in that, even though eventually once it gets the hang of it, it can still excel at doing that, you know, just as well as any other planet. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't necessarily make it worse. It just takes a lot more kind of work to figure out how to use that. Um, but it goes into the. I really like that article that Alice Barkley Cat wrote about. Um, planets showing creativity and detriment. Right. Yeah, because they have some challenge and something that they have to overcome. And sometimes that can be constructive and uh, much more constructive in some ways. Yeah. One of the things that's been interesting for me, um, and kind of speaking of trying to find outlets for Mars when you have a really strong one in your chart um, and not necessarily anywhere to spend it, I got really into uh, looking at the charts of UFC fighters. And uh, I am absolutely not a martial artist. I can't fight at all. Um, but it kind of gives me like a little bit of a place for that placement to watch those. And one of the things that um, has been interesting about it is watching fighters who have uh, Mars and detriment. They're not worse fighters. They're some of the best fighters. But the way that they respond to conflict seems to be notably different. Um, like Rose Namayunas is one person who has uh, Mars and Taurus. And um, her first title shot was this huge upset. Um, she was like massively considered 
the underdog and she won and everybody was freaking out and they interviewed her and she said something to the effect of basically like, fighting's not what really matters. I just want everyone to be nice to each other (laughs) or (laughs) something like that. Like every time they try to interview her, she's just like, no, you know, that is like, she'll be a little bit confident here and there, but she's basically just trying to make everybody get along. Um, yeah. And you'll see that in some other fighters too. That's kind of funny. It, it reminds me of um, another famous athlete who had Mars in Taurus uh, prominently in the 10th, I think, was Muhammad Ali. And he was famously against the Vietnam War and like protested that. Um, but otherwise, you know, was very Martian in um, being one of the, the leading boxers in the world at the time. Yeah, totally. He's a great example of that. Yeah. All right. So one thing I meant to mention early on was, um, of course, the distinction in ancient astrology where they associated and, and named some of the planets after certain gods in the Greek and Roman, Roman pantheons. And Venus, of course, was associated with Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. And Mars became the planet became associated with Ares, which was the god of war. Um, so that becomes part of the other basic contrast that we see mentioned in just about all um, authors was associating Mars with war and with fighting in general. Yeah, and. The opposite of Mars and Venus becomes so interesting here too, because for most of the oppositions, the planets don't get along in some way. Like Saturn and the Sun, they just disagree and kind of make each other miserable, where you can kind of see illustrated in the stories of the gods for these two. Um, it's more of an opposites attract situation, even mm. though they are really contradictory in a lot of ways. Um, yeah people who have both of those planets in conjunction will tend to have some sort of like magnetism to them. It's There can be some canceling out of qualities, but uh, yeah, I think the mythology illustrates some of their relationship to each other pretty well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, all right, so going back, is there anything else that's worth mentioning before we move on to Valens just from this passage from Porphyry? Um, so it's fiery, it's blood red, it's associated with iron um, and people that work with iron, which we'll come back to later. Um, it's associated with the procreative impulse, which is again something we'll probably come back to of actions and danger. So it, actions and dangers. So right away it's mentioning action, danger, spiritedness, anger, and audacity. So it's like it's giving us some f- very like um, striking words like right right away in terms of the things that it's associating with Mars. Yeah. I like the audacity again. I mean it kind of goes back to the whole impulsiveness or just kind of acting on instinct like for a lot of uh martial pe- people or like martial actions um they'll kind of be the uh, you'll ask people in hindsight, like, oh, why did you get into that argument? Or like, oh my God, I can't believe you just did that thing, like the audacity. And a lot of times people will be like, oh, I don't know. I just, in the moment, I just had to do this thing. They'll have like no logical reason behind it. Right. So there's a an impulsiveness or just a the will to act and to take action and sometimes the action itself to proceed 
thought in some sense. It's not necessarily like a calculated thing where you're you're sitting down and planning things out for like a year before doing it. You just have an impulse and you do or you act. Yeah. And I think that's where some people on Twitter mentioned this. And I think it might be in some of the modern passages we're going to read from too, but that's where later you see Mars start to be associated with a fight or flight response. Um, and I think that's really uh, that really illustrates um, why Mars has a lot of the significations that it does. Um, right, because it imp- it re- represents that impulse to either either fight or or to to run to flee. Yeah, and also like a lot of the emotions associated with Mars, uh, like anger in particular, is really a secondary emotion. Um, you know, it's it's coming from something else. It's coming from the body setting off some sort of alarm. Um, so thinking about Mars is not necessarily anger in and of itself, but it's kind of that like protective force in the body and also has to do with like the adrenaline and things like that. Mm, okay. So sometimes those are like things that happen that are um, reactions to external stimuli that are, are again, not like logical processes, but instead they're just like impulses that the body has that are almost more primal or more like physiological in their their origin. Yeah, yeah. And that's also um I mean it talks about here but Mars and like lust is another situation where people have a harder time implementing their like rational mind. Um right. I think it, it uses like a sort of euphemism of like the procreative impulse um but I think that's what it's referring to. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we're talking about like basic, sometimes like biological um, impulses and and desires, sometimes as being a fundamental component of Mars. Yeah, but also, I mean, it's it's not a bad thing either. Um, you know, it takes you need a little bit of drive in life. Otherwise, uh, you kind of just get a lot of laziness or sitting around, or things just like don't have the same level of excitement to them necessarily. Um, yeah. So you need a little bit of, I kind of think about it like a Bunsen burner underneath whatever it represents to kind of get stuff going um, yeah. in the same way that the benefics can't always do. Um, and we talked about this a little bit before the recording, but like um, as negative as Mars can sound sometimes, talking about anger and all those sort of things. I also like to think about it um, in comparison to the benefics as representing people who have the capacity to show up to extreme situations. Whereas Mm. even though the benefics have all of these really nice significations, they can kind of be more like fair weather friends. They're people who kind of want things to be every like nice and level and uh, Mars is the friend that you can call when you're like in jail at 3 a.m. You know, uh, Mars is the person who's like gonna work through a relationship even when it gets kind of rough or there's hard times. Where, um, yeah, the benefics are gonna tend to be kind of more like, oh, I don't know, the vibes are kind of off. Uh, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. This isn't really what I thought it would be. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, the Mars. Uh, or the malefic ones are your like ride or die friends who who are there uh, to to sort of help you out or like will 
uh, throw down in a fight for you if that's what it comes to, like in that moment to defend. Defend, that's another good Mars type thing in terms of having also a sort of like courageousness of leaping headlong into the fray instead of hanging back or something like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Um, why don't we? Are we ready to move on to Valens, where he just gives a list of really serious significations? Have we prefaced this enough? Are we like emotionally and spiritually prepared to read Valens's passage at this point, or should we preface this with like anything else? I mean, I would just also like to say again, even though I've, I've said it quite a few times, all of the things that it represents, it also represents the capacity to prevent these things, and I think that's kind of implied from the way that uh, ancient. Uh, astrologers wrote, but might not be as obvious here. So when it says it represents these things, it also represents people who would be like vehemently against them. Yeah. Um, and sometimes one of the, uh, like a literary technique in ancient astrology, it's important to be aware of is that ancient authors, not just in the the Greek or the Western tradition, but also in like the Indian tradition as well, have a tendency to put statements and delineations in terms of extremes. And so they'll give you like the most extreme manifestation of something, and you're supposed to understand that as a literary technique to help you understand sometimes the worst case scenario or the best case scenario. And once you've ex- established the extremes, then you can figure out what the different gradations or the different shades of gray are in between. But the text itself initially will put things in what what seem at first in very like stark terms. Yeah. Yeah, much less access to writing materials at the time. I can imagine the ancient writers being like, oh, I really don't want anyone to misunderstand what this is. I really don't want anyone to miss this point I'm trying to get across. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then they write um, what we'll read coming up. All right, well, let's, let's jump into it. So this first passage, this is from Vedius Valens, who lived in the second century. Um, this translation comes from my book, Hellenistic Astrologist Study of Fate and Fortune, which is available in fine bookstores everywhere. Um, let's go ahead and read it. So Valens says, The star of Mars signifies violence, wars, robbery, screams, insolence, adultery, taking away of one's possessions, banishment, exile, estrangement estrangement from one's parents, captivity, the rape of women, abortions, sexual intercourse, marriages, loss of good things, lies, hopeless situations, violent thefts, robbery, plundering, separations of friends, anger, fighting, verbal abuse, hatred, lawsuits. He also brings about violent murders, wounds, and bloodshed, attacks of fevers, ulcers, skin eruptions, inflammations, imprisonment, torture, masculinity, perjury, deception, those who have much experience in wrongdoing, and those who work with fire or iron, those who work with their hands, and masons. He brings about leaders and military service, and high-ranking officers, soldiers, sovereignty, hunting, chasing, falling from heights or from four-footed animals, poor vision, apoplexy. Of parts of the body, he rules over the head, the buttocks, and the genitals. 
Internally, he rules over the blood, the seminal passages, bile, the excretion of feces, the back portions of the individual, walking backwards, and falling on one's back. He also rules that which is hard and abrupt. Of substances, he rules iron and the regalia of clothing as a result of the ram, and wine and legumes. It is of the nocturnal sect, the color red and pungent in taste. Yeah, so that is that is Valens's long significations of Mars from the second century. So yeah. what do you think? Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, being facetious. It, uh yeah, it's a lot. Well, and so so going back to the original point we made that sometimes if some of these things happen in life or a part of sometimes different people's experience of life, and if astrology is supposed to be a study which encompasses all of human experience in some way, then you have to figure out in that system where some of these these experiences are going to live and what planets or what alignments or what combinations are going to indicate them. And so that's part of the necessary role then here of Mars and sometimes more broadly speaking, the the malefic planets, let's say. Yeah. Um yeah, exactly. And I also think, you know, sometimes knowing these significations um can also help prepare people to prevent these things from coming about. Um and you know, can kind of like help you look at a period coming up and be more kind of prepared to uh dodge some of these things or like be a little more on guard. Um and um yeah, I mean, cuz sometimes you can have like a Mars transit come up and a person can be more prone to let's just say anger on that day or more and therefore more irritable or prone towards getting into fights and if you're not aware that you're having that transit you might be more apt to say something off the top of your head impulsively or like get in that argument or get in that fight that you might not otherwise if you were being a little bit more careful yeah and if you know that mars represents accidents and you have a mars transit coming up a lot of people will see that and get really freaked out and be like, oh my God, this terrible thing's going to happen. But a lot of times what that means is more like, okay, you see Mars, you know, say transiting your ascendant or something like that on a certain day. Maybe that's not the best day to like learn how to ride a motorcycle if you've never done that before. It doesn't necessarily mean this thing is absolutely going to happen, but it can kind of show like a t- more of a tendency towards these things. And so- Sometimes it can be productive to kind of be a little more on the defense than you would be otherwise, but you don't have to always go like all into full on paranoia. Yeah. Or somebody today, when we did the thread on that, saying that we're going to do this episode and people are putting forth significations of Mars, which I, I might show later in the episode because some of them were really good and are, were not ones in our lists from excerpts. But one of the ones that somebody mentioned was um, speeding, like when you're driving. So, you're having like a, a bad Mars transit, even if you have like the impulse to like speed or go over the speed limit, that might not be a good thing to do because you could be more prone to like getting in a car accident or something on that day. Yeah, totally. Yeah, on that note, somebody added road rage too, which I really appreciated. Somebody, um, 
in a Mars year. When Mars was going through my first house uh, earlier this summer, I'm not normally a person with road rage at all. And I was just getting like just absurd road rage. Yeah, I had an analogy when we were talking about um, like Mars, Saturn, especially during the retrograde last year, but Mars, Saturn aspects that when you're like driving on a highway, um, that Mars is like the person that is speeding and like comes up behind you in your car and, and tries to like push you forward and make you go faster than you want to go by like tailgating you basically. Whereas Saturn is like that person that's driving way under the speed limit that you're stuck behind and it's forcing you to go slower than you would otherwise because you're just stuck behind this really slow moving car and you can't really do anything about it. Yeah, I remember years ago, um, I don't remember which sign it was in, but I know Saturn and Mars were um, conjoining and you were using that metaphor a lot on the podcast. And then I actually ended up getting into not a bad one, but just a little bit of a fender bender where I tapped the car in front of me. Um, I'm otherwise a very safe driver, but um, things happen. And I just remember that going on and just getting out of the car and being like, don't mention astrology, don't mention astrology. But this <laughs> yeah. is the exact thing that you would, the, the exact metaphor that you've been using. Okay. Yeah. You can like justify that to the other person mm -hmm. and just like let them know it's okay because you heard this as, mm -hmm. a, as a brilliant metaphor on a podcast recently. Yeah, people love that. Right, when you get in a crash. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so this is good. Um, this is bringing up some good analogies. Uh, let's go back to the passage and see if there's anything else that we are missing that we should uh, be talking about at this point when it comes to comes to Mars. So, um, yeah, like. Violence obviously is a really major re recurring thing that keeps coming up with um, with Mars, both in the negative sense of acts of violence that people sometimes receive or inflicted on people, as well as people that use violence or um, make acts of violence themselves. Um, but then, of course, in a more constructive or positive sense, um, Valen starts talking at one point about people that are in professions where violence is used almost as a tool. For example, he mentions um, soldiers and military service. So, if if the military or soldiers are primary like vocation is like war and the art of war, then Mars being prominent then can be those who use those things, let's say, for better or or worse. Yeah. And then I also think about um, like activists being under the uh, rulership of Mars or, you know, being, as some of the older texts would say, some of the children of the planet. Um, yeah. And those are also people who are engaged in some sort of fight. Okay. That's a good point. So more metaphorical, like fighting for a cause or something, but those who have to sometimes, um, you know, break the silence, or those that have to do something that, let's say, the person on the receiving end, let's say, like a politician or something who's standing there getting heckled by by somebody by an activist or something, does not receive as like a positive thing. They're receiving it as like a disharmonious thing, but it's 
sometimes having to use um, strong words or take actions in order to achieve uh, a specific result. Yeah. And that goes back to the kind of Mars-Venus dichotomy of you know a certain amount of what would be like war in order to reestablish harmony or peace or justice or those kinds of things. Um, and yeah, having a certain amount of Mars is required to have that like impetus to to speak up. Whereas, um, yeah, more of a kind of like Venusian um, expression. This is not to say anybody like Venus is like this all the time or something, but, you know, that would be more of a like, oh, you know, it's more important that everybody just get along. I don't want to bother anyone. Or Mars is the one that's like, oh, no, actually, this is not okay. And I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm going to do um, something that's based off of this like internal impulse that like I know is right. Yeah, that's a really important thing because the way that manifests can manifest in like a wide range of different ways. But the Mars archetype, when it's manifesting in that way, is the person that doesn't care if what they're doing is like, um, you know, breaking the uh, serenity of the silence or something like that. They're the, the person that doesn't mind speaking up or being the first to interject or to speak up. Um, if something needs to be said, and there's sometimes like not great manifestations of that, or or ones where it's like the person that like makes a bad joke in order to like interrupt the silence or something like that. But then there's also obviously constructive versions of that in terms of the person that says um, what needs to be said, even if it's awkward or uncomfortable at the time. Yeah, yeah, which might lead to something like. Exile, um, maybe not in the sense that uh, Valens is using this here, but you know, uh, like you're probably going to get taken out of the room at the very least. In in a lot of circumstances, if you like, you know, speak up, um, like in a in a big sense, like interrupting somebody at a big hearing or you know something that would be like in an activist type scenario. Um, but then if it, it just at like a party or whatever, you know, you're going to feel kind of like socially ostracized usually if everybody around you is saying, say something like super offensive and you're the one person there that's like, actually, I'm not okay with this. Um, that kind of has that effect. Yeah. Um, that's really funny. So that's some of the other significations of Mars is like Mars is brash. It represents things that are bold and sometimes things are like that are uncouth. Uh, I can't think of a better synonym for that: uncivilized, uncultured, unrefined, un- unpolished, or like synonyms that Google is giving me that are all, you know, can be appropriate for Mars sometimes. Yeah, and I like what Austin said on, um, I think the episode on the signs. He was talking about Aries, which is a Mars world sign, being more about that friction. And also Mars being about things that kind of like go against the grain a little bit. And sometimes that that kind of lack of harmony can also be something that transfers into friction that like lights a match or gets something going in some sense. Right. The lights the the match to the like the powder keg or something like that. Yeah. Um, which then also would actually be a Mars thing, which would be um explosions. Uh, would probably be traditionally more of a Mars thing. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. 
Yeah. All right. Um, one of the little things that Valen started touching on is when he started talking about um, like physiological things, as he mentions fevers, um, skin eruptions, and inflammations, which are all like sort of irritating type things that um, can like irritate the skin or can make you really hot, like overheating and other things, uh, other things like that. Yeah. And that also kind of goes into the offensive versus defensive kind of um, sides of Mars because that's it's really the body's defense system. Uh, but sometimes the body's defense system can go into overdrive. And uh, yeah, like you know. when you're getting a fever, that's actually like your body's defense system, like going on high alert to fight off like invading uh, germs and stuff. Yeah. But it's kind of funny too, like me as a angular Mars person, um, I have like a hyperreactive inflammatory response. And also just like my face just turns red all the time. I'm kind mm. of like known for it. Yeah. I had a, there was a period like uh, several years back when I had a secondary progressed Mars. I've talked about on the podcast squaring sun for like a year or two. And I developed this like skin condition where I would get sunburns really easily so i like went through this whole like long period of just like going outside for like 5 minutes and like instantaneously having a terrible sunburn and the redness and like just irritation on my skin being a really literal manifestation of of mars basically a, a pro prolonged mars transit at that time yeah that sounds terrible and very literal yeah uh that was good times though another one i've been thinking about a lot lately that's a good mars signification is um, red peppers. And, um, you know, it's like funny, there's that YouTube show. I don't know if you've seen it, Hot Ones, where like celebrities have to eat a series of like progressively hotter hot wings and they're while well, getting like interview questions thrown at them. And that's a really good um, example of Mars as well as just the heat of a pepper, which on the, you know, in a negative sense is supposed to be sometimes something that like plants develop as a Defense mechanism to like keep away like predators from eating it or or insects. It can be used as like an insecticide. But then and and for people sometimes for for most people at least the experience of eating something that's too hot is negative. And you're just like this is painful. This is hurting my insides. Like why am I doing this? But then for some people that develop like a taste for that or have a, a knack or a tolerance for spicy foods. Um, that spice is something that's actually taken as um, enjoyable or pleasurable to some extent. Yeah, I like spicy food a lot. I've also thought about it as being sort of funny that the antidote to spice is like milk, and so you know, a uh, sign of cancer has a lot to do with like milk and dairy products, and that being the the sign of Mars's fall. Right, I like that. That's a good one. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, okay, so spice, inflammation, redness, also just like irritants or things which are irritating in that acute way. And that's a, a thing I'm not sure. I think maybe Porphyry and Antiochus mentioned as they said something about acute um, pains. And that's sometimes a distinction in traditional astrology between Mars tends to indicate more acute. Um, ailments or indications or or pains versus Saturn tends to indicate more like long term 
ailments or injuries or things that take a while to develop and to like work themselves out, whereas there's more of a abruptness or an acuteness to Mars. Yeah. It also it it almost makes Mars like a little easier to understand because it's like it's so apparent in there. Like um like the the heat of the sun is a little more energizing and warming, whereas the heat of Mars is just like, all right, that there's definitely a torch on. Like um Right. Yeah, like the lighter light lighting like a lighter underneath your hand and feeling the immediacy of uh, the response of your body of like, ouch, fire, pain, must remove hand, as opposed to Saturn, which would be more of a long-term thing of like coldness, which like sets in sort of gently and, and eventually starts to become uncomfortable and hurt. But by the time you're feeling like real pain or damage from it, it's almost like at a very advanced stage. Yeah. And that also goes with, you know, um, Saturn tending to represent uh, older people, whereas Mars, one of its significations or kind of like rulership can be toddlers. So Mars is um, apparent a lot sooner. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right. Is there anything else or should we move on to Abu Mashar, who's going to be another traditional author that's going to give us some more constructive and some more negative significations. Yeah, let's move on. Okay, so um, our next one. I don't think I made a fancy image for this one, but our next set of significations is going to come from the ninth-century astrologer Abu Mashar and his uh, great introduction to the science of the judgment of the stars which was translated recently last year into English by Ben Dykes. Um, so let's see, let me pull up that passage uh, from Ben's translation. So Abu Mashar says, As for Mars, his nature is heating, drying, fiery, yellow bile, and his taste is bitter. And he indicates youth, strength, mental sharpness, heat, fires, conflagration, every matter occurring suddenly, a king who has power and valor, cavalrymen, chief commanders, soldiers, the companions of the sultan, oppression, coercion, war, killing, fighting, courage, hardiness, seeking glory, renown, and rank, the instruments of war, those entrusted with mobilizing wars, seeking retaliation, provoking discord, those craving groups and splitting apart, warring with one another, becoming a thief, digging, stealing, highway robbery, haughtiness, risk-taking, anger, regarding forbidden things as permissible, punishment, fetters, beating, imprisonment, restriction, running away, desertion, capture, prisoners, fear, conflict, injustice, anger, fury, recklessness, harshness, coarseness of heart, foolishness, stubbornness, with scarce examination, haste, quickness in things, daring, bad in expression, 
ugliness of speech and its coarseness and harshness, indecency of the tongue, revealing love and affection, glad tidings, extravagance in speech, using wiles in answering quickly but with repentance in it afterwards. I think that means like regretting something after speaking off the cuff. Um, then he goes on, a scar scarcity of piety and scarcity of fidelity, but, a, but an abundance of lying, slander, and debauchery, swearing false oaths, deception, cunning, bad works, a scarcity of good, the undermining of suitable things, an abundance of thought in matters, whims, independence of opinion from situation to situation, but quickly going back, an insolent look, little shame, an abundance of trouble and exertion, travels, exile, isolation, being a bad neighbor, fornication, ugly sexual intercourse, jokes, liveliness, the movement which happens at the time of a woman giving birth, the labor pains of a pregnant woman, the death of women in pregnancy, the cutting of a child in the womb, and the miscarriage of a fetus. And he indicates middle brothers, the management of riding animals, veterinary science, the protection of sheep, the treatment of wounds, the craft of iron and working with it, the circumcision of boys, the desecration of tombs, and the robbing of the dead. So that is uh, the ninth century astrologer Abu Mashar writing in Arabic, um, probably in Baghdad towards the middle of the ninth century, so around, let's say, 850 or so. Yeah, there's so much there. Yeah, that was a lot. Um, yeah, I like the the part about being a bad neighbor. <laughs> right, bad neighbors. Because <laughs> I think one of the other things that comes up a lot in my chart um, and also illustrates that placements in your chart don't always necessarily indicate something about you personally, but it can indicate things in the world outside of you. Um, and me especially having Mars in the seventh house, so uh, can tend to be the other is I tend to have like the loudest neighbors or when I'm kind of doing things with Mars or uh, even just talking about Mars sometimes and kind of like invoking it somehow. Like I swear to God, somebody always starts uh, working on a motorcycle or like turns on really abrasive music or playing Call of Duty or dogs start barking. Um, Those are all very good, in very good modern Mars significations. Yeah. 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 And Mars transits, like big Mars transits, that stuff will just be all over the place. Right. I like that. Okay. Um, so yeah, the Mars is your loud, sometimes obnoxious neighbor or can be in the subjectively negative experience of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else? One of the things I think that's interesting from a modern perspective, because in like modern astrology, a bunch of the inner planet significations from back when we only had seven planets, and so all of the manifestations of life largely had to come through one of those seven planets or their combinations or the signs of the zodiac or what have you. Um, but some of the things about like deception and stuff often gets applied to outer planets like Neptune. But in um, ancient astrology, things like 
lying and slander were sometimes actually given to Mars or sometimes to Saturn as the two malefics that were set in opposition to the two benefics, which were supposed to signify like truth and fidelity and things like that? Yeah. Um, but maybe even in a modern sense, the idea of like slander, like when you're being slandered by somebody or somebody is like spreading bad rumors as a Mars type thing. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's also, you know, the act of doing that is something that's very um, kind of like the result of irritation or anger, or some of the things that we've already talked about more. Right. Or like fighting, because it's basically like fighting in a sense or trying to inflict harm, but through words, like verbally, mm -hmm. um, which brings up, I was thinking of another recent one. Like there were some like um, major like rap albums that were dropped recently by like Kanye West and Drake, and they're like feuding with each other. And one of the things that it made me think of is like rap battles as a Mars Mercury signification where people are like using words in order to literally fight with each other or put out like diss tracks where they're insulting each other um, through speech or through music. Yeah. Um, I know a person who definitely doesn't do rap battles, but does do um, is in a profession that involves speaking on stage. Well, they're a stand-up comedian and um, they have Mars and Gemini. And one time they said something to me and they're like, do you ever just save up insults as kind of like ammunition. And I was like, no, I don't I don't think that's a normal thing for people to do, but that's very that's very literal for uh Mars and Gemini, which has a lot to do with speech. Yeah, I like that Mars and Gemini, or I've seen that also um I think like I think like Eminem, for example, has like Mercury and Scorpio as like rap battles, but also I was really into a few years ago um the um it was first developed in like i think in california but the new york scene like really adopted it of um comedy battles basically what's the phrase for that when like comedians are it's sort of it's not a rap battle but it's more of like a, a comedian or like a roast battle where you, they're roasting each other with like jokes that are sort of like insults i'm not sure um i i know the word too i just can't think about it right now um but I, yeah, Nick Cannon had that show, which is probably a, a bad example. Of, oh yeah, no, that, um, that's a good example one, but, of like um, while and out, which was like a, 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 yeah, they were doing like uh, battles. Yeah, well, it was a, yeah, it's a literal example. I would notice it a lot um, back when I used to do more things with comedy that the people who are really good at kind of improvising or mm. talking to people in the crowd would often have Mars Mercury conjunctions. Like they could just think of something just right off the top of their head really quickly. Yeah. Cause there's like a, a quick wittedness, which is required for that and a, and a sharpness in mental thinking. And that's something that Mars helps with is being quick on your feet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, in addition to Mars being like sharp or acerbic with your speaking and with with your tongue sometimes, which in some contexts obviously can get you into trouble um, and cause like problems for you. But it's funny in those contexts, like people being able to 
use that to their advantage and find a way to like channel something that they're good at into a constructive manifestation, basically. Yeah. And I've also seen some people with Mars-Mercury um, combinations end up writing about martial topics. Uh, mm. My friend wrote a book called It Ain't Over, um, it Ain't Over Until uh, We're Smoking Cigars on the Drill Pad. Um, and it's a, a set of poems about Standing Rock. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, that's an example of some of those things. Yeah, I'm just doing a search really quickly for some people. Do you know any other good examples of like good Mars Mercury combinations? Um, this one's not exactly it, but it's uh, kind of the inverse of Mercury in a Mars world sign is Winona Ryder, um, mm. who uh had a spree of shoplifting right for a while so it kind of goes and you know it's like hands and uh mercury kind of representing hands and then mars being that kind of like impulsiveness and talking about uh taking things and she had this kind of impulsive shoplifting habit that ended up really catching up to her during her um saturn return yeah well that was actually i think like theft is one of the significations that Valens mentioned at one point. Yeah. 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 I think he mentions robbery twice, actually. That was something I, I did a Norwak talk for a few months ago where I was trying to get to in the Antiochus passage when it's talking about Saturn, it talks about um, like negative significations that people experience, or it says if the planet's well placed, then the native will benefit. As a result of the loss of others, or the native will benefit at the loss of other people. And I thought that was a really interesting insight into how some of the ancient astrologers um, conceptualized the malefics when they're dignified, that sometimes it can be um, the native, not necessarily themselves, getting hurt, but instead doing something where they're benefiting within the context of um, some sort of loss as a result of somebody else. Which obviously has its like positive manifestations, where we talked about like, let's say firefighters or something like that, or even like a in an MMA context or a boxing context, like a fighter, where in order to be victorious in a in a fight in a boxing match or an MMA martial arts match, you have to beat, you have to defeat your opponent, and so naturally you're winning as a result of somebody else's loss. And that's a really interesting dynamic when it comes to the malefics and a way to think about it sometimes in terms of, um, yeah, just broader notions of there's something underlying that that has to do with some broader notions. I think going back to Aristotle of notions of um, generation and corruption or things that are building up and coming into being versus things that are um, on their way out that are. Uh, decaying and like passing away, and the, the malefics tend to have their domain for the most part in that second part in the passing away or in the cor corruption realm. Yeah, I think it also goes into just the mode of operation of the malefics uh, tends to lean more towards things that are. Um, like come about through sort of abrasive means. Um, 
And, you know, they might bring about something really positive, but uh, they're just naturally going to be more crude. And it's kind of like, you know, imagine uh, Venus is like doing something with a paintbrush, like trying to do the same thing with a blowtorch. It's just like, you're not going to be able to be as delicate with it. And in the same way, I think when Mars tries to bring about things in your life, it might take like a a faster less harmonious route to it, which often looks like, you know, maybe somebody else on the other side isn't benefiting, or maybe you're not considering the impacts that it's going to have on everything else um, around you or other people, you know, Um, or, you know, might be no fault of the native themselves, but just the circumstances themselves kind of have this abrasive nature to them. Yeah, for sure. That's a good term, though, that is a good higher-level archetype of Mars, which is just abrasiveness, basically. Yeah, and it ends up being like this in my life a lot, actually, because it's the ruler of um, both my lot of fortune and lot of spirit, which has a lot to do with, you know, kind of uh, what sort of opportunities come into your life. And um, Mars tends to indicate situations where it's kind of like, one bridge will burn down in some area. And then all of a sudden, um, I'll have way more time to study a topic that I'm really interested in that ends up being really good for my career. But it's because of some sort of situation that is sort of horrible in some way. Mm. Can I show your chart? I'm sure. Okay, here we go. There's a chart. So you, you have, for those just listening to the audio version, you have um, 26 Cancer Rising, and your sun is in Pisces in the ninth whole sign house, but conjunct the degree of the mid- midheaven. And your moon is at 13 Sag in the sixth whole sign house. And Mars is over in the seventh whole sign house at 11 degrees of Capricorn, conjunct Neptune at nine Capricorn and Saturn at one, and Uranus at zero Capricorn. Yep. Yep. Good times. <laughs> So you're part of the the lovely uh, Capricorn pileup that happened in the late 1980s and early 1990s, the, the Capricorn stellium, which was uh, actually co- consequently was the stellium that the Soviet Union sort of started dissolving under. Yeah. What's been pretty fun too is um, just kind of coincidentally, uh, a lot of my friends are born right around the same time. So I get to compare a lot of different conditions of like day and night charts and that same sort of uh, Capricorn stellium of how that ends up playing out. Um, yeah. So, so you have a, that brings up sect, which is actually something I've been doing a really poor job of mentioning in the series up to this point. And that I was, I didn't mention, I think hardly at all in the Venus episode, but it becomes more relevant when you start talking about the benefics and the malefics. So um, I did a whole episode on sect previously, so people can go back and search for that. But to make a long story short, part of the way that that works is that um, so you have a you have a night chart or you have a day chart because your sun is in the top half of the chart. So Mars then would be a little bit more challenging theoretically, whereas Saturn would be a little bit more constructive. Versus some of your friends that have night charts, Mars should theoretically be a bit more constructive, and Saturn should be a little bit more challenging. Is that what you're referring to in terms of that that difference? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And okay. um, it's a little bit of a confusing example, I think, because it goes into the, uh, 
you know, the exaltation and fall of planets or by nature, if a planet is in its sign of um, exaltation, because of the conditions of that sign, it'll tend to prevent it from going into excess a little more than it might otherwise. Right. But um, yeah, like my best friend was born in the same hospital as me a day apart, but a night birth. And I would definitely say that she is a lot better at um, not getting into like pointless arguments um, compared to me. Um, And I also think of sect a lot, particularly in terms of day versus night charts as kind of speaking to um, the level of, um, well, Austin, his classes always talks about it as like the level of appropriateness for a planet. So it's kind of like, if you have this really strong Mars, finding places that are appropriate to kind of spend that energy somehow, um, I would say it's been harder for me to find a place for that in my life. Whereas like my friend is, she's an occupational therapist who works on um, helping people recover from serious injuries and uh, people who have been in really like difficult accidents. And so she deals with a lot of those Mars significations of, you know, um, all these horrible things, but um, get to spend all day kind of helping people um, like get back to their normal lives. And she also has another in- interesting um, indication too, where uh, she's a Libra rising. So her Capricorn Mars is in the fourth house, um, which means it would also rule her seventh house. And uh, her husband uh, was like a D1 athlete and is really interested in sports and like a very active person. Um, so it kind of has that other expression there. Nice. I like that. An athlete with Mars really in the seventh house. Yeah. That's pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings up what you were just talking about with your friend, the idea also of, of remediation, which is much more prominent in like older astrological texts, especially in like the medieval uh, Western astrological tradition, but is much more alive in Ind- Indian astrology still today, where sometimes you know, if you have Mars in like a prominent place, they'll say to do this remediation in order to either counteract the energy in some sense or in order to one of the the other strains in the astrological tradition is the idea of the energy needing to manifest somehow but if you take it into your own hands and do it yourself somehow that you can almost like control or channel the manifestation in some way at, at the highest ideal I guess is is the idea yeah yeah, and it's a it's a complicated art. We're actually going over that now in um Freedom Cole's class. I'm taking his year one right now. Um and we're in the remedies chapter. It's really interesting. But yeah, it's complex. Um because there's there's so many different ways to approach planets, and sometimes people think of remediation as um in ways where they're wanting to give the planet almost the equivalent of like a chewy bar to kind of give it some other place to go work on. And what they don't realize they're doing is they're actually giving it like energy drinks and feeding it and kind of encouraging it to do more of that. So right, yeah, it's a fine art. 
the question of whether if you have a malefic in your chart you're trying to remedi- remediate, do you do something that strengthens it or do you do something that counteracts it in some way? Yeah, yeah, that could be a whole conversation on its own. But I mean, like in in my life, um, like I really like the Mars in my chart. Uh, you know, even though it gives a mix of significations, some which are like not always great, but I like a lot of martial things. Um, uh, but like some of my favorite jobs have to do with like physical labor in uh, professions that are typically thought of like work that only like men would do. And so uh, it's a lot harder for me to to get access to some of the things that would feel like healthy outlets for me. Like some of the happiest times I've had were, I was doing this one job where I was just doing like 12 hours of really intense physical labor every single day, um, helping out with um, a wine harvest. Um, And that was really fun, but kind of not that sustainable and something that's difficult for me to find a replacement for. Yeah, I think we before we recorded this this weekend, weren't you doing something involving like a chainsaw for work in the past few days? <laughs> Maybe uh, not. Yeah, I'm I'm training on that. We're we're not clear if I'm going to actually do the chainsaw work because that that might actually be too martial. Turns out, okay, um, right. But yeah, I, I do a lot of stuff with um, climbing trees, uh, like old growth, really big trees. Um, and when I say that, usually people think of the kind of like whimsical sort of just free climbing that you might do as like a kid, but it's a lot more analogous to like um, arborist work or even like rock climbing. But yeah, um, kind of going with the martial thing, it's hard for me to do uh, just exclusively sedentary work. Um, so doing kind of more physical jobs like that when you're climbing up really high and uh, doing work up there. And maybe in the future, um, chainsawing off the whole top of the tree while you're still in it to create canopy variation in uh, monocrop areas. Yeah. Um, Well, that's a really good, just the notions of like movement and of the body as being core Mars meanings. I think that helps us get to the, the core of a lot better then. Yeah. And a lot of times when I'm trying to explain Mars, I even like to take it into more of a somatic place with things um, because it's not necessarily as like logic driven of a planet, but it's kind of just like physical manifestation is like so easy to imagine. Like you can just go through the kind of general body regions that the signs represent um, and then just imagine heat in those areas and it kind of helps you imagine what it might be like to be born with that placement or what those things might represent. Like for instance, um, Aries kind of rules the top of the head and the eye region. Um, and there's some disagreement between traditions about kind of where the boundaries are between the signs, but you know, you can see that as, uh, one of the signs that Mars would rule with the kind of indications of being like hot headed or the like seeing red, or, you know, just that like impulse center where like all of a sudden you get this idea and you're like, oh my God, I have to go act on this thing right now. Um, this being a very like martial place. Um, 
Whereas like, you know, the, the sign of cancer being kind of like the chest region and sort of like the emotional heart, um, you know, it's usually the place where like when you feel a lot of love for something or you see something that you find very like precious or cute, you know, you kind of feel soft and happy and like the idea of putting like heat and strife in that area just feels terrible. You know, that, that feels like heartbreak. That's like, you don't want, um, it's hard to deal with Mars there. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. That makes sense. Um, what's another example of like a, a let's say a, an affliction of Mars in a certain body part? Um, it's not necessarily an, an affliction, but one thing that I think is really funny is so Gemini rules the arms and the hands. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever like taken a class uh, where everybody is taking notes next to somebody with Mars and Gemini, I so many of them just tend to be set, such like aggressive note takers. That's um, mm. really funny. Nice. Aggressive uh, note taking. Yeah. I like that. Um, all right. So you started mentioning some other jobs and things like that. And I think that's a nice segue into our next set of significations from uh, William Lilly and his 17th century text, Christian Astrology. Um, if you think that would be a good segue. Yeah, let's go into it. All right. So here's William Lilly's text, Christian Astrology from 1647. And it's actually really hard to read because the original text has those funny S's that look like F's and a bunch of other annoying stuff like that. So I'm going to do the Google Docs version of this classic text. And <clears throat> Lily says that the nature of Mars is masculine, nocturnal, hot and dry, and choleric. Actually, says a bunch of other stuff, but this is just a small excerpt where. <clears throat> he starts talking about people signified, and he says that Mars signifies princes ruling by tyranny or oppression, tyrants, usurpers, new conquerors, generals of armies, colonels, captains or soldiers generally, physicians, apothecaries, surgeons, alchemists, gunners, butchers, marshals, surgeons, sergeants, bailiffs, Hangmen, thieves, smiths, bakers, armorers, watchmakers, botchers, tailors, uh, cutlers of swords and knives, barbers, dyers, cooks, carpenters, gamesters, bear wards, tanners, and couriers. So, part of our ongoing struggles is with Lily over the past several episodes of this series has been identifying some of the specific professions that he's associating with some of the planets in a 17th century context. But for the most part, some of this is straightforward. And it's actually funny when you think about some of the like cutting um, significations of Mars from earlier in the tradition, how that then is being associated with some very specific um, professions, like for example, surgeons, uh, you know, people that literally have to like cut somebody open in order to fix something inside of them. But because it involves uh, cutting, um, that that becomes associated with that specific uh, profession. 
or barbers, you know, people that cut hair off of somebody else as part of their profession. Are there any others that stand out to you? Um, you know, I tried so hard to find the chart of a bear ward. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Timothy Treadwell at first, but he I don't think he was really I don't think he really counts as a bear ward because he wasn't trying to domesticate them or anything. Is that literally what it means? Like domestic a, a person that like tames bears? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good times. It, yeah, that didn't that didn't really go very far though. I, I found some people, but um I couldn't find uh, even birthdays for him. No birthdays, no birth times. All right, well, if we know any bear tamers or bear wards, please let us know in the comments below this YouTube video so we can look at your chart and see if Mars is prominent. Um, butchers, of course, that's another funny like cutting thing. Um, all right, so Lily goes on and he has this section, which I really like, where he distinguishes between manners when Mars is like well placed in the chart or well dignified, as he says, versus what Mars signifies when it's poorly placed. And what, you know, well placed versus poorly placed means involves a whole bunch of stuff we're not going to get into, but let's just say for the sake of distinction that we're just talking about well placed in the chart versus let's say less constructive manifestations. So Lily says, manners when well dignified, in feats of war and courage, Invincible, scorning any should ex exceed him, subject to no reason, bold, confident, immovable, contentious, challenging all honor to themselves, valiant, lovers of war and things pertaining thereunto, hazarding himself all perils, willingly will obey nobody, nor submit to any. A large reporter of his own acts, one that fights all things in comparison of victory, and yet of prudent behavior in his own affairs. So that's when well dignified. Then he goes on, he says, manners when badly placed. Then he is a prattler without modesty or honesty, a lover of slaughter and quarrels, murder, thievery, a promoter of sedition, phrase, and commotions, and highway thief, um, as wavering as the wind, a traitor, of turbulent spirit, perjurer, obscene, rash, inhumane, neither fearing God or caring for man, unthankful, treacherous, oppressors, ravenous, cheater, furious, violent. So those are Lily's significations in the mid mid seventeenth century as one of the last really notable um, of the traditional astrologers in some ways. Yeah, what's interesting there to me is the part where he says traitor um, for a Mars that's not well placed because even though some of the the other Mars things might not necessarily be that great, like the bragging. You know, but um, it also kind of shows that Mars can represent that like force of willpower a little bit. So it also takes a little bit of Mars to kind of have like the self control to kind of like keep your word to some extent, too. Um, like, yeah, it's kind of a fine balance between having too much Mars and kind of um, tending more towards like impulsive outbursts 
or like not having enough Mars and being a little bit like lazy and not having as much like drive or control. Um, yeah. Or just like being out for oneself um, and, you know, throwing your friends to the flame or what have you, as opposed to um, having more of a sense of like honor or something like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I liked one of the things that it mentioned is um, courage. And I think that's really important as a Mars signification. And it's something I was thinking about recently. I forgot where I saw this, but it was some statement about that courage is something that only comes about in the face of um, fear or danger. That in order to like act courageously, that action always takes takes place within the context of you know fear or or danger of some sort. So there's like a dangerous component to it, but it's the ability to rise above that and still act courageously despite the potential for for um, peril or for for being harmed yourself. Yeah, totally. Um, I know some friends who deal with like pretty intense anxiety. Um, which, you know, is kind of like a different type of low level fear. Um, and then they'll do things that are like super, super courageous and gutsy. And, uh, they also have pretty strong like Mars placements, but it's pretty funny. People will talk about like, like, oh, how do you do this big thing? If you like, if you deal with anxiety so much and they're kind of like, oh, well, like I have that, I'm just so used to that fear being around. And it's like, I might have. If you just have anxiety and your body is afraid while you're just like sitting there doing nothing, it's it's almost like you're a little more used to facing that um, when a big situation calls for it. Uh, yeah, it's almost like a, like a type of conditioning that you live with all the time. Yeah, that's a really good point that sometimes even people with um, difficult placements maybe are people that can react better in difficult situations because they've experienced it previously or they have some familiarity with that energy. So therefore they might be better at coping with it in a scenario where they're suddenly like thrust into that type of archetypal scenario again at some later date as opposed to somebody else who is just completely caught off guard and isn't used to dealing with that type of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Um, let's see, is there anything else we should talk about when it comes to Lily and some of his significations here? Um, well, another example, um, uh, going back to the kind of professions thing that I thought was interesting was um I looked at the chart of somebody um recently who had Mars on the exact degree of exaltation. So not only in the sign of Capricorn, but also on the single degree where it's considered most effective and most um like potent and um she is a metalsmith who makes really high quality swords uh, which i thought was like yeah just not something that you hear of very often anymore but like a really right. really literal manifestation of of that placement yeah of literally working with fire and and iron mhm mm nice that's a pretty that's a pretty good one. It's funny how sometimes those ancient significations, the very literal ones, it's like they can have broader 
psychological or archetypal manifestations, but sometimes there can still be very literal, very textbook manifestations as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny when you're kind of, when it comes up in readings or something like that and you're like, oh, it's kind of like this, but you know, it's really just symbolic. And the person's like, no, it's not symbolic. That's, that's literally my job or something like that. Yeah. I remember one of the um, analogies that Robert Zoller made once to me that was for some reason I always repeat this on the podcast because it's it was like a throwaway line, but it was one of the best analogies he ever made when I was lived uh, near him for like a year in the mid 2000s. But he said that Aries um, is like a machine gun, whereas Scorpio, the other domicile of Mars, is like a sniper rifle. And um, this kind of came up in a consultation once where it was like somebody had the ruler of the 10th in. Scorpio and it was Mars and it's in its own domicile, but it was under the beams of the sun. And I was giving some very general delineation of like acting and secrecy as part of one's career or something like that. And I think I used the sniper analogy. And then he said that he actually worked in the clandestine services in some sort of like special operations capacity, um, but often in doing operations that were like secret or, or private or something like that. Yeah. There's yeah. like there's a funny section of um Firmicus where he's talking about uh some possibilities of Mars in the ninth house, which as mm -hmm. you know, he I think even for writers of his time and through translations and all of that, writes in a pretty dramatic way. And yeah. I was reading it to people mostly because I thought it was funny. And he's talking a lot about um how it can make people exorcists. And we'll make demons flee from the scene at the sight of this person. And I've read it to a few different people who have really strong Mars there, thinking it would just be like an interesting historical anecdote. And they'll like get quiet and be like, no, it feels fitting. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess I guess Firmicus was uh pretty accurate with that one, actually. Yeah, some some secret exorcists are are in your friend friend circle. Yeah. Something like that. Um, all right, let's see what else. Um, one of the ones I thought was funny is, is Lily says he uses the term obscene, and that's a funny um, Mars signification sometimes as well. Is is the notion of obscenity in the sense of a breaking, in breaking down obscenity and what obscenity even is, but something which goes against the grain when it comes to like cultural norms of what is appropriate, let's say in a social setting. And Mars is very much that planet, um, I guess, if you were trying to assign that to a specific planet. Yeah, definitely. And you talked about it some on the Mercury episode, but um, the swearing in Mars can definitely be a thing. Yeah, swearing is a really good one for Mars. And I was thinking about that a few months ago that, yeah, the, the term... I don't know if I'll get this banned from YouTube or or what, but the the term uh, "fuck" is actually one of the best uh, words in the English language that encapsulates, I think, the most significations of Mars compared to any other word that I can think of, um, which is kind of striking when you when you try to find like a single word for a planet. Yeah, yeah, and it's also just such a satisfying word to say. Um, yeah, and and versatile. Um, I think there's like a funny 
I don't know where it comes from, but it was like a funny um, thing that used to go around the internet in like the mid-90s about the versatility of the word and its different applications. And um, yeah, but it, it somehow encapsulates a lot of things when it comes to Mars. Yeah. There's a funny story my mom tells sometimes about um, my brother when he was little, like ran in the house really upset because my dad had said that word. And she was like, oh, I told you not to swear around the kids and was so upset. And she goes out into the garage where he was working underneath the car and um, just goes in there, like basically screaming at him. And he like pushes his way out from under the car or like whatever he was doing. And he had just gotten like completely covered in like oil or some sort of horrible substance, like completely coated in it. And he just looked at her so exhausted. And he was like, sometimes it's just the only word that fits. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. Summarizes some of the stuff. Yeah. Sometimes necessary. Um, all right. Is there anything else uh, with Lily before we we move on to the basically the jump to the 20th century and the modern astrologers? No, but um, one thing that the kind of going against the grain thing made me think about um, with things that are like maybe not as acceptable, um, going back to sect, um, I also think like another way that I've come to imagine Mars um, in day charts is also uh, – sometimes signifying things that like, or making decisions that might not make sense to like the wider culture or things that might be a little bit like defiant in some way as well as just not being able to like find an appropriate place for it. But like, um, for me, uh, like major Mars, um, kind of timing thing coincided with like quitting my other job and being like, I absolutely have to be an astrologer, which like didn't make any sense in a lot of like the context of everything else I was doing. And it's, you know, like a job that's not necessarily as like respected. Um, or, you know, I think it's it's changing a little bit with like the popularity, but at the time wasn't as much. Um, so Yeah, and quitting from something, especially like abruptly or suddenly or even getting fired on the, the other side of that coin, like suddenly or abruptly. Yeah, and I think sometimes um, the ancient writers are are kind of um, speaking from this like perspective of cultural norms and like what would be socially acceptable in these things, and so sometimes they'll give really negative connotations to uh, like Mars things, like um, if Mars rules the lot of spirit. Uh, there's that passage that says you basically uh, ruin all of your life opportunities. Um, but, you know, sometimes that could be like, well, in the context of like a lot of people deciding to go against all of my like previous training and like become an astrologer or something would be like consider ruining things. But I don't actually think of it that way. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, or just needing to, in that instance, like sever and separate from something with your previous job or like employment in order to pursue um, what you're passionate about, which is a more true manifestation of the lot of spirit. Yeah, yeah, and that whole going about things in a yeah much more martial way. Right. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so let's jump ahead several centuries to the 20th century and the first um, 20th century author that I've been sharing in this series is uh, Reinhold Eberton and his book from the 1940s titled The Combination of Stellar Influences, which was originally written in German and then was translated pretty early into uh, English so that it influenced a lot of late 20th century astrologers. So for Mars, he says the primary principle is energy. And I think like that's it. That's like that's his one-word principle of Mars. And then he says, under psychological correspondence, the sort of positive, he gives a positive, and he says, willpower, active energy, courage, determination, enjoyment of work and fighting, the urge to do something. Then he says, under negative psychological correspondences, waste of energy, enjoyment of destruction, impulsiveness, ruthlessness, brutality, weakness, lack of energy. Under biological correspondence, he says, the heat of the body, the muscles, and the sex functions. Under sociological correspondence, he says, fighters, bearers of arms, athletes, mechanics, technicians, craftsmen, and surgeons. So super concise and pretty straightforward, sort of like summation of a lot of the things that we've we've sort of been talking about up to this point, right? Yeah. I mean, you can really see how it's switching to a lot more psychological focus than kind of telling you about what sort of energy to look for outside of yourself. Yeah, I almost feel like um, I talked about this as we were preparing for this episode that Mars almost more than any other planet um, has this. I don't want to call it a, a makeover because it's not a full makeover, but there is more of a shift to psychologicalizing it and viewing it in a much more psychological context in the modern times. And um, it gets a little even more drastic as we get further into some of the the later 20th century authors, and it gets away from some of the more extreme external manifestations of like negative things and more focusing on uh, sort of character traits or psychological impulses. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely in that. Yeah. Um, all right. So one of the things that's kind of important here that's useful to talk about is it talks about um, like this sense of, and Mars becomes more and more associated with the sense of like vitality versus um, Mars not being in good condition, or in certain contexts, in combinations with like let's say certain planets. Like we just had a Neptune Mars opposition in the sky a couple of days ago, and that being associated with like a lack of vitality or some sort of like weakness in terms of vitality or lack of energy is one of the delineations Ebertine gives. And I think that was interesting in terms of this notion of Mars representing like energy or vitality or that impulse to act and having the ability to act as a result of having energy versus having one's energy or vitality sapped in some way so that you lack the ability to act in some sense. Yeah. And that I think goes back to the kind of like imagining Mars physically sort of thing, right? You can imagine um 
like what it's like to have Mars and Sagittarius by just imagining what it's like if you have a lot of energy in your legs. Um, and mm. um, even if it's just like metaphorically, like kind of um, that metaphor of like wandering legs um, or wanting to like, you know, be really excited about like lots of different ideas or things from like all sorts of different places, like wanting to like walk around and explore. Um, and it's like, yeah, it really um, kind of summarizes that. Yeah, or you used the analogy before of like Mars and Gemini and people that are very active with like their hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you also see it in like MMA fighters. So of course, it's like, um, yeah, the the people who have uh, Mars in like Pisces and love kicking things and like Pisces rules the feet. So a lot of active energy in the feet. Mm, right. Um, but yeah, I think the enjoyment of work and fighting is also notable here. Like, yeah, you know, sometimes having um, that energy can lead to like irritation or anxiety or like in extreme cases, even like panic attacks if you don't have um, something to do with it. But it also is really useful if all of a sudden you do have to do something that's very unpleasant. Um, and I've, yeah, I've had the inverse happen to me where um, I had just gotten some Venus materia from Sphere and Sundry. Um, and it was while I was doing that kind of like physical labor job and I forgot that it was with me. And normally I really liked this job, but for some reason that day, like it just felt so terrible to be at work. Like I, I was actually for some reason, like complaining that they had got us cupcakes the other day and they didn't get them for us this day. <laughs> um, and I just like wanted to sit down and, um, and then I realized I had this thing with me. So I was basically like invoking kind of the opposite or counter energy of Mars. And then I went and put it back in the car and it was, it felt a lot better and like notably different than the days that I had done a lot of um, things to Mars ahead of time. And yeah, invoking the desire to like work instead of the desire to rest or just have enjoyment. Yeah. And that's obviously like on a spectrum in some ways, but yeah, like positive Mars can, you might have a lot of things to do, but it might actually feel a little bit better. And that, that also goes into like the, uh, the house joys. So like Mars has its joy in the sixth house of like work. And even though that's typically not a very exciting house, it can be kind of good to have this planet that kind of, yeah, has a, too much going on and it's kind of this like overexcited toddler to just be like here go go run around and get all these things done yeah to like channel it into a constructive um realm and i think that's one of the reasons why mars was said to do so well and said to be exalted in capricorn because saturn as the ruler of that sign gives mars some sort of structure um with which to channel that raw sort of energy or power yeah. I think about um with Mars and Capricorn as well, uh kind of opposite Cancer as being a little like uh Mars as conflict and thinking about how in the middle of really complicated conflicts, 
people will often hire like uh, mediators or people who are trained in conflict, um, who are outside forces, who don't have any like emotional connection um, to the situation and um, also have tools and a lot of like structure that they can add to things. Whereas Mars has a more difficult time in cancer because um, tends to represent your kind of like close friends and family. So it's, it's kind of like you don't necessarily want to hire like your mom or your best friend to uh, mediate a conflict because it's very hard not to get wrapped up in it. Whereas Capricorn can kind of represent the exact opposite of that. Yeah, or or even just um, Saturn being more dispassionate and more logical and more cold and like cooling and cooling down the excessive heat of Mars, as opposed to you know like let's say Mars and Cancer and its in its fall being more um, prone to taking action just based on transiting like emotional impulses or something like that and doing what feels right in the moment or sometimes being given more to. Um, let's say emotional anger or something like that. Yeah, and it also illustrates the difference between um, detriment and fall really well. I think because um, detriment can kind of be uh, like a not wanting to participate in whatever the environment is. You know, that's more like Mars at this nice party where everybody else is just trying to chill and relax, and there's not really like an exercise thing happening or like some sort of fight. Whereas, um, yeah, Mars in Cancer, um, it's almost like you care so much that you can uh, take it to an extreme in some ways and then maybe not act enough in other ways. It's like, you know, some of the most dangerous animals to come upon in the wild are like animals that have young with them. Um, or just you know people's willingness to fight for things that they love is usually a lot higher capacity than something that they're just like assigned to arbitrarily as a job or something. So, yeah, fall can actually indicate both an excess and uh, a deficiency of a planet in a sign. Right, that makes sense. Um, all right, so let's jump forward to. Uh, the 1980s now to Stephen Forrest's book, The Inner Sky, which I think was published in like 1988. And he breaks up, he has a whole chapter on Mars, but his initial breakdown is just into um, a function, a dysfunction, uh, key questions, and then what it indicates when retrograde. So Stephen Forrest says the function of Mars is the development of will, the expansion of courage, assertiveness training. He says the dysfunction, however, is touchiness, rage, selfishness, insensitivity, cruelty, sadism, bombast, irritability, and a chip on the shoulder. The key questions for Mars are, what battles must I face? Where must I be more assertive if I am not to suffer pointless conflict and strife? How can I sharpen my will? How do I express my aggressiveness? When retrograde, tremendous staying power, hesitant to assert oneself or make demands, passive demeanor, 
anger controlled but internalized. Yeah, so that's Stephen Forrest, and at this point we've shifted into like a much more psychological context and much more viewing the planet less as like an external manifestation of a concrete event and more as um, internal like psychological uh, tendencies and sort of like character traits. Yeah. I like the um, chip on the shoulder aspect of this. Because mm. um, I think sometimes when you're hearing about like really strong Mars placements, there can be a tendency to assume that like, oh, this person is going to be really angry all the time, or this person's going to do like such and such. And I think it also goes into um, sect a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times people who have really good um, Mars placements will not actually be that combative. Uh, it's kind of like you know, if that, if that planet's like comfortable, if it doesn't have a chip on the shoulder, they're not necessarily like going out and starting a lot of arguments or fights because there's not as much to like prove. There's kind of this more comfort in oneself. Whereas, yeah, Mars in um, a more difficult place can more manifest as this kind of irritability or need to prove something. Yeah, if it's coming from an underlying sense of of feeling like it, it's actually weak or doesn't like match up to to what it wants like it can manifest in in some of those weird ways yeah and then internally that feeling kind of comes initially from like a place of not feeling safe in oneself to begin with like not not feeling um respected enough or like like uh always being on guard somehow um, whereas a functioning Mars is um, like generally feeling safe to uh, you know make assertive decisions if you need to. Yeah, um, a lot of this, of course, is making me think of our last previous president who had like Mars conjunct the ascendant in in um, Leo, and like all of the astrologers were really. Um, thought was really funny because when you take some of these like classic significations and then look at it in that context, like he played out a lot of them in a very like straightforward way. So, you know, um, Stephen Forrest here is talking about like selfishness, rage, insensitivity, cruelty, bombast, having a chip on the shoulder, and a lot of that stuff was there were like very clear, straightforward. Not super high manifestations of like Mars energy that came through in a like a personality context because it was right on the ascendant. So it's like one of the first things that you sort of see. Yeah, great example of doing Mars wrong <laughs> for sure. Right. Um, I think it's also his, his chart has been talked about so much, but um, going into like decanic dignity. Um, What's sort of interesting to me is like um, in 36 Faces, uh, Austin calls the last Deccan of Leo, which is a double Mars rule Deccan, um, the banner, which kind of has to do with the ability to inspire people even when it's kind of a lost cause. Um, and it also goes into like as a body region, it has to do with like Leo has to do with the solar plexus and kind of more like the muscular heart. Um, so it's it's playing a lot on like emotions in a certain way, but just in the very literal sense, um, 
I don't know any other president who has had so many people obsessed with um, having banners, like literal humongous banners on the backs of their like trucks and things. Right. Uh, yeah. Just. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right. So, and, and and of course, you know, Mars can manifest in different ways in places like the first house where sometimes it's like bodily things versus other times it's coming forward more in a in a character type sense. Um, I know I have and and also, you know, depending on sect and dignity and things like that, I have two friends um, who both had Scorpio rising and they were born pretty close together. And both of them have had Mars and Saturn in the first house in um, Scorpio or the first whole sign house. And one of them had a day chart and one of them had a night chart. So sort of like you and your friend with those placements um, in different houses, but for them it was they both had Scorpio rising. So one of them had a day chart. And so like Mars in the first house, sometimes the more physical parts of Mars would come out and she would do things like impulsively and accidentally like injure herself. So she was like constantly getting little bumps and like cuts and burns and things physically because Mars was in the first house in a day chart. So some of the more challenging physical manifestations were coming through that placement. Um, whereas the other friend also had uh, Scorpio rising with Mars in the first house in a day chart. But it or but it was a night chart because the sun was below the horizon. So then Mars was of the sect in favor and tended to be more constructive, whereas Saturn tended to be a little bit more problematic. And for her, she was very um assertive and could assert herself very well in a very like martial way, in a very like direct way. And um she liked to like drive fast, for example, but she had um, Saturn type ailments because it was Saturn in the first house in a night chart, and she was um, anemic, so she would get cold very easily. And then at one point, she struggled with um, cancer at one point uh, when she developed that later on in her life. So it's interesting how you can have those different manifestations again, just by taking into account different things like sect and dignity and, and other things like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but sometimes as a and I guess the point of that ultimately was it's both and, and I wanted to bring that up at this point because once we get in the modern tradition where it starts being more character and psychologically based versus when we're looking at the older traditions, it's tends to be much more external and like what types of events are you to experience with Mars. Um, but the the reality is that it's both, that you can have both psychological or character man manifestations and you can have external event-oriented manifestations, and really to some extent both are indicated by the birth chart, where it can be types of circumstances that you may encounter at some point in your life or types of events that may happen, but also your Mars placement is representing some of these sort of psychological dynamics sort of within you that will manifest at different points in your life as well. Yeah, totally. I really agree with that. Okay. Cool. Um, is there anything else we should mention about um, Stephen Forrest before we move on to, I think, our last author, which is Tarnas? No, I did remember um, when you were showing that example um, 
a friend who a long time ago, uh, when I was, uh, just getting into astrology, I had heard that Mars in the first house can, um, indicate that you have like scars on your face, um, or kind of like just above the neck. And so, um, and he has the first house is Libra for him. So, um, the body region would actually be opposite, um, the head, but yeah, I, I asked him that and he kind of thought for a second, he's like, well, I mean, I've been stabbed a bunch of times. <laughs> I was like, okay, right. that's, he's like, so there's probably a scar on my head somewhere. I was like, all right, that's, yeah, that seems fitting. Yeah. That's one of the things that I want to, when I do at some point, uh, an episode I'm planning about the physical properties of the planets and how sometimes that weirdly manifests in the symbolic meaning. One of the things I thought was funny when I went years ago to like a planetarium with my friend Nick Diggin Best, and they were doing this show of like a tour of the planets, the main thing that they focused on and talked about for a bit with Mars is how it has this gigantic um, chasm that spans across like a huge swath of Mars. So that if you like look at Mars, it looks like it has a huge like a gash or a scar like across the planet, which is kind of a funny thing given that traditionally, even prior to modern times when we could like see this and like visualize it like this, that ancient authors also associated Mars with like scars or cuts or or gashes. Awesome. Yeah. So Mars has a face tat. That's yeah, good to know. Exactly. Face tat and um yeah, Mars is like the planet that's like doesn't you don't want to die without any scars? Yeah. Um, and I think that was actually somebody mentioned tattoos as an interesting Mars signification or potential Mars signification that was mentioned today on Twitter, right? Because you with a tattoo, you're usually literally using like a needle in order to put ink onto the body. Yeah. And um I used to do tattoos. So you know, and, and so I also had looked at the charts of a lot of my friends who also did them. And there's definitely like a correspondence with strong Mars placements. Okay, nice. Yes, I still we had talked about it at one point. I still want to do the like astrology tattoos episode with you at some point of I always wanted to do a video that was like, so you want to get an astrology tattoo and like here are here are some ideas or here's a guide for getting good astrology tattoos. Yeah. Yeah, can be a really good um remedial Mars measure, but um can also be you know, um, an impulsive bad decision. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> pretty easily too. <laughs> you gotta consult with somebody on that. Definitely. Well, that is why I think we need to make a good guide, but we'll we'll put that off to another episode. All right. Um, final author I wanted to mention here is Richard Tarnas and his 2006 book, Cosmos and Psyche, Intimations of a New Worldview. Um, here's the text, and I've written it out. So he says, Mars, the principle of energetic force, the impulse and capacity to assert, to act and move energetically and forcefully, to have an impact, to press forward and against, to defend and offend, to act with sharpness and ardor, the tendency to experience aggressiveness, anger, conflict, harm, violence, forceful physical energy, to be combative, competitive, courageous, vigorous, Ares, the god of war. 
yeah. So that is Tarnus and Tarnus. I always have Tarnus at the end because he has a way of drawing together the tradition relatively well, and we can see both some of the you know ancient significations there as well as some of the more modern psychological significations at the same time. Yeah, I like the summary a lot. Yeah. Um, so where does that leave us? That doesn't. Um, are are there major things that we haven't touched on or haven't dwelled on when it comes to some of those significations that he mentioned at the very end? Um, I mean, I think this makes it. This description makes it really easy to apply to um, either like Mars in transit through the houses or like how it might act on other planets just as that like raw force. Um, like, um, you know, if you take again with like Mercury and the impulse to like speak in those kinds of, uh, you know, language and adding this Mars in kind of helps explain that a little bit better, like the impulse and capacity to assert language or if it's like the moon and it has to do with caretaking, um, it might take that drive and make it a little more channeled and forward acting. Mm, yeah, why don't we do that in some of the other episodes we've gone through um, different placements or combinations, but like planetary combinations. So we've already talked a little bit about Mercury, Mars, and that can be like verbal combativeness or um, the way that a person speaks. Um, which let's say in a natal chart can indicate a person who's more forthright or aggressive in their communication style um, or, or maybe impulsive, or as a transit, like a Mars transit to Mercury or Mercury to Mars can indicate a more a period of like um, either being more impulsive verbally or sometimes like getting into a verbal altercation or an argument or something like that. Yeah. Um, which one would you like to start with? Sure. Uh, which in terms of Mercury, Mercury, or in terms of moving on to the ones? Oh, um, I guess we could start with Mercury. Okay, let's do that then. So, what are some other sort of besides that for Mercury and Mars? Um, I think that can be like an ADHD combination sometimes. Mm, uh, okay, with the mental functions of. Mercury, kind of like the mind moving too fast, right? Because because Mars is good for like really short stunts, but it doesn't have like a lot of endurance. It's good for like short, um, brief bursts of energy, but not typically for like long term bursts of energy. Yeah, it's great for um, gossip <laughs> and slander. Uh, I've also. Um, seen some writers who have this. I was thinking of, I just finished the Broken Earth series by N.K. Jemison, and um, she has um, a Mercury Kazemi, so exactly conjunct the sun um, in Virgo. Uh, so a Mercury ruled sign with Mars there. And um, she's a very prolific writer who also um, does a lot of like activism through her writing. Mm. Okay. Um, um, I'm just searching through my files really quickly to see uh, if I have any really good famous like Mercury Mars conjunctions. 
oh, it's pulling up like hard aspects, like squares, of which I have for some reason um, Lee Harvey Oswald as like an exact Mercury Mars square. So that's fun. Uh, assassin of John F. Kennedy. Uh, all right, what other manifestations do you have for like Mercury Mars combinations? Um. It can sometimes go into uh, like cutting the fingers, I suppose, because uh, right. yeah, hands hands ruled by Mercury, and then that sharpness can sometimes just come out like physically. So, um, yeah, you'll see people kind of cutting their fingers, or also like by transit sometimes, even if like um, Mars is moving over your natal mercury or, or in a mercury rolled sign. Mm. I see that yeah. come up pretty often. Yeah, or just like getting a burn or like a cut or something like that, uh, definitely on one's hands. Okay, so that's pretty good. Um, let's switch to like moon-mars combinations of, yeah, any sort of combination of the moon and Mars. Yeah, I just saw a really good chart of that earlier, but I can't remember. Oh, um, Tyra Banks. Mm. Um, yeah, she has um, Cancer Rising with the Moon and uh, Mars and Aries. So Mars in its domicile, the Moon ruling the first, and just thinking about um, that kind of that famous scene from America's Next Top Model about uh, she gets really mad at one of those contestants and says, "We were all fighting for you." Like she like cares so much. So you have this signification of the moon that kind of has to do with that, like caring. But then this Mars fighting. Um, hmm. Yeah, um, that's really good, and that's also notable. Just having the ruler of the ascendant in the tenth house, and that reminds me, I think of. Uh, Bill Gates chart, which is also like Cancer rising with the Moon in Aries in the tenth house, and just very ambitious um, professionally. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, other than that, though, like Moon Mars can be like emotional, like outbursts or um, anger and things like that. Let's say. Not just natally, but when it's like transiting, like if you get a transit of Mars to your moon, it can just be a period where you're like mo more emotionally angry for some reason during that period. Yeah. Whenever I see Mars um, starting to move over my moon sign, I know that that's always like a time that it made me more prone to anxiety. And so that's usually where I'll take steps to be kind of like, okay, these are the things that. I need to do to kind of like calm down more to like make sure that I'm like well regulated. And also, I mean, um, some of the texts talked about Mars being drying and the moon is a very like wet planet. So it can even just be something as simple as like dehydration. Mm, right. Or also the moon is like the stomach and like having an upset stomach can be like a very physical thing. Yeah, totally. Um, also in the, the Mars kind of going to extremes and the moon being a lot about like, um, internal 
uh, regulation of emotions and how you process them, it can kind of be like processing everything all at once. Um, like instead of kind of over a longer period of time that it's kind of, it can be like bigger emotional spikes. Um, or sometimes like, you know, the moon being a little bit about like needs and, um, just something that might typically be a passing mood, like, oh, I, you know, I'd kind of like a snack right now. Uh, Mars there can make it like a more intense hunger or like a more intense drive to go what after that, after whatever that thing is. So a little more like assertive about personal needs. Right. That's a good point. Okay. Um, so that's moon. Um, what about the sun and Mars combinations? Um, I think that's really good for like personal assertiveness. Um, that one um, is a little tricky because uh, you know any planet that's conjunct the sun, um, other than the nodes, I suppose, kind of takes on this like quality of hidden um, and uh, kind of like behind the scenes significations, or maybe things that are even like secretive uh, because the light of the sun. Um, obscures out the planet. And so it's, yeah, significations become a little more like underground. Um, yeah. So. Or, or sometimes like internalized um, in terms of it becoming like a character component of the planet in some sense rather than something experienced externally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm just looking through like a list of different people with Sun Mars conjunctions, but sometimes just Mars becoming, you know, the more internalized as part of the will and having um, more of an aggressive um, tendency in terms of actualizing the will sometimes. Yeah. And it's very um, drying because uh, both of them are hot planets. Right. So both of them are hot planets. So sometimes that can just um, channel that in terms of uh, turning up the heat or the person having a more hot, or sometimes um, interpreted as like a hot headed personality in general, if not um, offset by other things. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, all right. So that's pretty good with that. Um, sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say sometimes like the sun in terms of we can associate some of these different planets with like parents or things like that. And so, like a Mars sun combination can sometimes indicate either the relationship with the father or like character traits involving the father, or sometimes like either conflict or separation from the father versus the same thing with the moon and the mother. If we're going in more of like a literal, interpretive, non character based direction with some of the combinations. Yeah. Um yeah, that's true. Or sometimes the sun can just be like authority figures. Um Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um all right, so that's sun combinations then uh let's see, let's moving on. We've done Mercury, so moving on to Venus Mars combinations. Um how does that show up in terms of like natal combinations? Oh, there's a lot of examples for that one because I think a lot of celebrities have this. Um, and yeah, so if you're looking at celebrity charts, that's kind of that's one of the things. Um, 
because that, that kind of like artistic um, quality of Venus applied to Mars uh, can kind of come out in this like, it, it's like uh, doing all of the martial things, but only acting, only as a entertainment performance thing. So um, I, was, I was watching The Mummy the other night for some reason. Um, my roommates were watching it. <laughs> but yeah, Brendan Fraser has this, which I know that's kind of like a random chart example. But um, but then it's also interesting to watch in, um, again, in like UFC fighter charts. Um, and sometimes you get people who, uh, like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who has uh, Mars and Venus conjunct in Pisces, who's very, um, he's very like, just kind of almost like artful and dancey, but like almost to like a cartoonish extent um, in the way he moves. And he's also um, a model, I think. But then um, there are other fighters like, uh, Derek Lewis, who has Mars and Venus conjunct in um, Aries. And in a lot of his interviews, instead of being like really intimidating or like trying to fight a lot, you get kind of more of the Venus significations of just like wanting to relax. Like he'll often be like, he's pretty open about how he doesn't really care about uh, title matches. He just wants the money. <laughs> um, and he's also very like jokey and charming which is another Venus signification. But I mean, he's been interviewed after like really big fights as being like, no, I basically just like want to go home and like eat and smoke weed. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And even when he is like insulting people, it's like kind of charming. He's like a very funny fighter. Okay. Yeah. So it's an interesting balance of having both of those two sides of the same coin in terms of the opposing ends of the spectrum somehow um, working in concert or working together in some ways when Venus and Mars are together in the chart. Yeah. Um, that brings up like one that we haven't gotten into a lot, which, which is just um, the physical aspects of Mars and its interplay with the Venus and also just the um, continuing through all the tradition and a lot of the ones that we saw just about um, sex and sexuality being associated with Mars and Venus in the tradition, and them being kind of tied in in a very notable way, as like that's usually astrologically like where that's put in astrology for in terms of sex and sexuality, and how that's that comes together sometimes in things like synastry when people have strong contacts between Venus and Mars and may have like a good physical connection. Yeah. Um. Definitely. And they're like only talking about Aries and like kind of brushing over the Scorpio significations <laughs> seems very, it illustrates the kind of day rulership versus night rulership. But yeah, that's absolutely a thing. Um, yeah, it's a very uh, like magnetic combination. And then. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. I mean, also goes into like body rulership in some ways where. Uh, you know, Scorpio rules like the genitals, and like if Mars represents blood and passion and all of these other things, it, it makes sense that it can go into um, significations of like sex and chemistry and 
all of these things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And there's been like pushback against that with the traditional revival recently, because then um, through the like tendency in the past few decades to associate the signs of the zodiac with the houses, then the eighth house started being associated with sex because it was equated to Scorpio. And previously, traditionally, the fifth house tended to be associated with sex, or sometimes the seventh house in older texts. Um, but some of those associations, at least with the signs and, and things, and associating Scorpio um, with that because of the assignment of the different parts of the body to each of the signs of the zodiac, um, that sort of made sense to me, even from a traditional standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, it's a Mars episode, so I guess I'll talk about UFC more. But I think about um, the like the moves that are illegal in UFC are um, also kind of correspond with the major body regions um, that Mars rules, and like one of them is also you know like no, you can't kick people in the groin. Um, so it also goes into that kind of like protective aspect of Scorpio as well. Besides just sex, it's also just it's a part of the body that is like very vulnerable, and um, also like yeah, you know, if you are like naked, uh, then you're going to be more defensive. Like you're going to be more like Scorpionic if you're you're like you're just at like a in like a more sensitive position and whatever sort of like context you're in. Um, so yeah, that kind of more like defensive stance that comes with Mars and it's like, like nocturnal expression, um, I think is like, is one way I imagine it that has more to do with, um, yeah, it gives like a greater range to what Mars can represent than just the like, oh, Scorpio equals sex, um, kind of check off thing that can happen a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also just seeing Venus and Mars as two sides of the same coin and that interplay between giving and receiving um, being tied up in the sort of sexual expression of both Venus and Mars as um, being part of two parts of the same whole in some sense. Yeah. Um, and that also is the part that I think is left out of um, the Taurus significations a lot. And another thing that people will say a lot is, you know, like it stops saying that like Taurus only represents eating, but um, yeah, that sign being opposite uh, the Mars part of it is like, well, it also has a lot to do with um, like foreplay because Taurus rules the mouth and like there's a lot of other aspects that go into sex and that those kind of things go together. Um, right. Yeah. And just- and Taurus's association with like physical pleasure and with um, which often in modern times, like you're saying, gets associated with things like food and things like that. But there can also be other manifestations of that in terms of like sensual pleasure and yeah, those associations between Venus and Mars in the body, um, maybe more than any other two planets. I mean, I guess the moon has a close association with the body uh, also, especially traditionally. But it seems like Venus and Mars are the other two that are very much more tied into the physical realm in some way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. 
Um, all right, so that's Venus Mars combinations. Uh, so that takes us up to uh, Jupiter. So, like Mars Jupiter combinations. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I feel like you might know some chart examples of this. Because um, I know, well, for instance, um, like my brother has this one. Um, mm. uh, and like he's a, yeah, another one of the 1984 Scorpios. But he, um, for instance, is like, he's really into extreme sports. Um, he was a like a semi-professional snowboarder for a long time. A bunch of times I'll call him and uh, I'll be like, oh, what did you do today? And he's like, oh, I snowshoed 30 miles by myself. <laughs> or I just entered a triathlon without really training and then I won it. Um, so that um, kind of like buoyancy of Jupiter and uh, that kind of like support can kind of create for um, – kind of bigger, more f fantastical kind of Mars expression sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, that reminds me for some reason of um, Amelia Earhart, who was a Mars-Jupiter conjunction uh, oh, wow. in, in Virgo. Um, but yeah, just like that, the whatever like the 1920s version of that is of like, you know, being an explorer and like flying out somewhere on your own with a plane for the sake of of discovery and, and enjoying that. Yeah, totally. Um, I think Jupiter um, of the benefics tends to help Mars a lot more. I think, I mean, the kind of like refinement of Jupiter and bringing everything into balance can kind of help focus some of the kind of crass energy of Mars mm. um, oftentimes. Yeah, but, definitely. But also like that, uh, Jupiter wanting to like bring the help will sometimes find people who are they're very assertive about wanting to help. <laughs> that's a that's funny that you say that because there's actually one I was just looking up. Um, Angelina Jolie has like a triple conjunction of like Mars, Moon, and Jupiter in Aries in the tenth. So she's like some of the charts we we're looking at earlier. That's a Cancer rising with the Moon in the tenth, but throwing Mars and Jupiter in the mix and just some of her humanitarian work when she started I think it was like she filmed a movie like Tomb Raider or something in the late 90s and then was exposed to like some countries where they were sort of torn apart part by war or poverty and decided to try to take up a more active humanitarian cause in trying to raise money for for different places interesting yeah I have a close friend who um, also has a mutual reception between uh, Jupiter and Mars, um, and which in some traditions is considered um, basically like a conjunction, and yeah, the kind of like impulsiveness with which she like wants to help things is is really interesting. There is, um, I did some um, climbing stuff with her, and there's one of the major ways that we learned to climb was through projects where you. Um, basically do volunteer surveys, uh, climbing trees, looking for threatened species. Um, and you just do a more thorough job than the companies that like logging companies might hire out. 
um, uh, because it's pretty intense, like physical labor. And there was this um, old growth forest that was being logged and we couldn't do anything about it. And she started this whole thing um, and was like, well, maybe we'll be able to look for this other animal this way too. And uh, she started this whole project where it was just tons and tons of work in one of the coldest parts of the year um, off of this like off chance that you might be able to find something, but it's not very likely because it's not a species that is typically found that way. But for her, um, even though it was sort of a lost cause, the feeling of just sitting down doing nothing and uh, watching like this thing get destroyed for no reason was like so intolerable that she had to take like some sort of action um, and hers is actually kind of an interesting chart too, because she's also on top of all this, um, just like petrified of heights on like a very deep internal level and was just, yeah. But somehow the, the idea of just not doing anything at all was less scary or more awful than whatever she experienced climbing up there. Yeah, that makes sense. So just the the tendency of Mars to act is um, increased or expanded by Jupiter, and the notion of not taking action uh, is would be very hard. Because then with Saturn, when you throw Saturn in the mix, which are next combination, you get the opposite issue where sometimes um, Saturn can hold Mars back, so there can be restrictions in acting or not acting when one should. Versus Mars, Jupiter is much more um, having to act and having the impulse to act um, expanded even even larger. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so why don't we move on then to Mars-Saturn combinations? So then, like we were just saying, it's um, Mars's impulse to act is sometimes held back, and sometimes that can be uh, constructive when it's like Mars is. Becomes more strategic and acting only when the time is appropriate, um, but sometimes it can also, in a destructive sense, can be failing to act when one should have. Yeah, um, yeah, and I I have this combination um, natally, um, and I know a lot of people who have it as well, but. Um, yeah, it's it feels very much like that that kind of wanting to move, but then it's almost like there's this uh yeah, there's this obstacle or almost like this voice um trying to stop you all the time. Somebody on Twitter had a really good uh metaphor for this. I wish I could remember who posted it, but it was something about um this combination being like wanting to move forward and like run through a field. And this skirt and Saturn being the like snares that stop it and hold you back. Um, I think about it sometimes like um, those, uh, I don't, these are controversial, but those kind of leashes that people will put toddlers on in airports sometimes um, to keep right. them from like running off. <laughs> yes, that can be what it feels like, especially if you have a transit like that at some point, and feeling like a you're like a toddler on a leash. Yeah, I know it said that um, this is this combination um, in the Vedic tradition I'm part of, at least uh, talks about this as the Yama Yoga 
which is the death god and it's supposed to be the grants the ability to walk through hell, but also gives a lot of capacity to work with um, kind of end of life transitions or kind of more like extreme circumstances, but is also something that can make somebody feel sort of uncomfortable when everything is like pleasant and fine. Uh, often like inexplicably, but yeah, like I said, I have a lot of friends with um, this combination as well, who also are really drawn to uh, more extreme circumstances or also like in the instance of my friend who was born right after me, it's um, Mars and Saturn. She works with people who have spent, who have been through like accidents and such, but um, she has a, and she specializes in geriatrics. So Mars or um, Saturn representing like older generations. Right. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And just having extremes and, and extremes of hot and cold and there being a tension when Mars and Saturn are in that combination, especially like a hard aspect of one of them getting the upper hand over the other and it creating a sort of imbalance and a tendency to go to one, one extreme or the other. So that the challenge is um, leveling them out and keeping things uh, on par, one one impulse with the other. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so that's Mars, Saturn. So that takes us into the outer planets with um, Mars, Uranus. So Mars, Uranus is like acting even more impulsively or or unexpectedly in some sense. Yeah or just all at once, or that kind of um, Uranus, just kind of like sudden need for autonomy. Uh, autonomy is definitely a word that they both agree on, but I feel yeah. like Uranus is even a little less predictable than Mars about when you might need that. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's, I guess that's one of the things, just technically speaking, that we're doing astrologers when we look at those combinations is seeing when there's overlaps when the same planet indicates similar things, then it like doubles up and there's like a increased version of that. So both of them traditionally, or at least Mars is traditionally associated with speed and things that happen quickly, as we've seen before. But then Uranus is also uh, associated with things that happen very rapidly or suddenly and unexpectedly as well. So when you put those two together, it's the sudden, unexpected, sometimes explosive. Um, event or action combination. Yeah, and I feel like um, experiments is another thing that they can really agree on. Um, that kind of like, yeah, Uranus kind of like inventiveness and like, oh, well, we've never tried this before. And Mars is like the one who's like, well, I'll try it out. You know, um, I might fall, I might get seriously injured, but I don't care. Um, yeah, Mars has the bravery to kind of like test all of uh, Uranus's inventions. Right, which can be like bravery or sometimes bordering on like the recklessness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was one part. And then what was the other part that you were talking about that was your second signification? Um, for for Mars Uranus combinations. Um, I thought I ended up focusing on one, but you had mentioned two. So let's see, quickness was one that they shared in common, and the other one was um, what are other things that they share in common, or what are other common manifestations of Mars, Uranus? 
Um, it can sometimes be like unexpected, like accidents or or sort of mishaps, I guess. Yeah, or just sometimes, um, kind of for different reasons, but that wanting to like sever um, relationships or situations or just like sudden need for change. Yeah. So um, su- sudden, unexpected severing or separation of something. Yeah. Um, um, maybe one of the things uh, that's coming up then is like impulsiveness, because both of them have a sort of impulsiveness of acting suddenly or quickly. And Mars has that tendency already of impulsiveness or recklessness. And Uranus has this comment, this quality of unexpectedness or sort of like randomness and rebelliousness. Um, and of course, I think that was one of the things in the United States birth chart that astrologers started picking up on what Uranus meant was, I think the US was founded under like a sign-based Mars-Uranus conjunction and just the idea of like revolutions and things like that, a revolution being um, a Uranus or a Mars-Uranus type combination. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, doing those sort of things requires uh, like thinking outside of the box. Um, so, I mean, I think this comes up in a lot of kind of more like activist tactics or something. And it's like when you're fighting a really huge system, you have to kind of come up with something that's like creative in some way or like hasn't necessarily been tried before that other people might not be able to like anticipate in some way. So, that's kind of um, trying to fight in unconventional ways somehow. Yeah, the um, the like guerrilla warfare or the unconventional warfare tactics. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um how about Mars Neptune combinations? Um was it somebody um uh Claire Gallagher um who does the um the Cosmic Lifestyle podcast. I think she's on a sabbatical right now. But at one point, um, well, she also goes as the body astrologer. At one point, she called this combination like, like the tractor in a lake or something. <laughs> like you have some sort of um, equipment, but if you like drive it into the pond, it like kind of doesn't matter how how functional it is. Right. I mean, not completely. There are uses for this. Also, like the sometimes it can take the Mars significations and just make them diffuse and everywhere, uh, kind of like turn it into a cloud somehow. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. One of the ones I've noticed that comes up sometimes is um, the vitality aspect of Mars. When Neptune hits, it can become diffuse and scattered, and can sometimes um, sap the vitality for reasons that are unclear. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, full disclosure, I have this placement, but uh, yeah, I feel like it can also kind of take like the imaginal quality of um, Neptune and sometimes maybe like the spiritual aspect of it and um, kind of become like a motivating force behind those things. Um, So sometimes it can be good for bringing things like uh, a creative idea 
or um, some sort of like higher feeling or something like out of the ether and like grounding in something. And then I really liked what you said on the most recent forecast um, about it also sometimes leading to like paranoia. Um, mm. or I don't remember who said it exactly, but it got said on that podcast that that sometimes Neptune can also go the other way and be like, yeah, this kind of fear and paranoia about like the unknown. Um, yeah, or picking fights for with like enemies that aren't necessarily clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to be careful of reading like fantasy novels and things like that because I feel like I get like so sucked into these. Um, <laughs> yeah. These like these battles that don't technically exist and people who uh, don't need my help because they're imaginary. Yeah. It was interesting. You were talking about um, bringing things into concrete realization and and these two charts that are really close together that I've used for that, which is like Carl Sagan, who had a Mars-Neptune conjunction in the sign of Virgo in the fifth house. Oh wow. Um, versus he was born surprisingly close to Charles Manson, who also had Taurus rising with a Mars-Neptune conjunction in Virgo in the fifth house, and of course was like a cult leader. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sometimes they can also kind of like take Mars's ideas and make them a little drunk. Um, yeah, so it's like action, or that would be actually a very good um, one is like a metaphor for Mars Neptune would be like drunk driving and the sort mm -hmm. of like danger that, that, that comes, inherent danger that comes with that. Yeah, or like um, uh, Four Loco before they took all the caffeine out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Because it turns out that was also dangerous, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. That's pretty good for Mars Neptune and then Mars Pluto. Um, yeah. I always think of Pluto as being like a modifier uh, more into things. So can just kind of take that uh, martial quality and make it much more of like a, a drilling into something. I mean, I think like drilling is a, is a signification that they both agree on. Yeah. Uh, just like getting to the bottom of something because both of them have that quality. Um, Mars has that penetrating quality and Pluto has that sort of obsessive quality. And so when you put them together, it can be like wanting to get to the bottom of things or wanting to like really drill into and get to the core of something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of unearthing uh, topics that might be kind of shadowed otherwise or that other people might not necessarily want to deal with. Uh, Mars can also give like a bravery of dealing with those topics, but sometimes it can kind of go the other way and um, tend towards like corruption somehow or that kind of like shadowy Pluto nature can get into that like Mars fight. But yeah, that again goes with the the whole, these things can represent both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. The first one that you were just mentioning of getting into things and invest this like investigative thing of things that are difficult or that people don't necessarily always want to deal with. It made me think of, um, Ronan Farrow's chart because he has a Mars Pluto conjunction in the tenth house, 
um, in his chart and some of the like major investigative pieces that he's done over the past several years um, that spurred some of the developments in like the Me Too movement and things like that. Wow, yeah, I haven't seen that chart before, but that that definitely fits. Yeah. Um, all right. I know one of the things sometimes with Mars Pluto conjunctions that you have to be careful about is sometimes you were talking about it, like Pluto. Alan White always used to say that Pluto takes big things and makes them little, or it takes small things and it blows them up and makes them much bigger than they would be otherwise. And sometimes with Mars Pluto conjunctions, it can take things like anger and blow it up out of all proportions that sometimes like angry outbursts can become sort of supersized um, sometimes when there's hard aspects between Mars and Pluto. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and yeah. even even seeing it like by transit, uh, the sort of like arguments that come up and just how like deep and intense they feel. I mean, I know like intense is a, a trope of Pluto, but um yeah, Mars and Pluto both definitely agree on intense. Right, for sure. Um all right. Well, that's pretty good for combinations. So we've gone through pretty much all the planets and all the planetary combinations with Mars. Um, we've talked a little bit about like dignity and debility and different signs with Mars, and we've touched on a few house placements. I think that's the only other thing we could do if you wanted to was just go through and talk about Mars through the houses. Um, where how do you what do you think? Where do you is there anything that we haven't like touched on that's been major things that you meant to talk about in this discussion? I mean, there's so much that you like could talk about, um, but. Um, like I like thinking about Mars and its synodic cycle, uh, which we talked about a little bit. So the fifteen-year period of Mars and its conjunctions with the Sun. Yeah, um, or just kind of like where it is relative to the Sun, like uh, Mars at the Kazemi, or so the exact conjunction with the Sun, kind of being like starting a new cycle, um, and then. Kind of depending on what side of the sun you have, uh, kind of how you like relate to conflict, mm. um, versus like you know that being like Mars going into the extremes of retrograde, um, and thinking about it all as kind of like like Mars as the warrior, and so the whole thing being kind of like the the warrior's journey, I think is really does a really good job of like illustrating um, how Mars can play out. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So we're coming up on a conjunction here next month in October between the Sun and Mars, and so that'll restart the synodic cycle between the Sun and Mars when it uh, the Sun catches up to and overtakes Mars and begins that new uh, cycle of switching from being a morning star to being an evening star. Yeah. Or um, vice versa. Yeah, and I think it's just interesting to just look at like um, Mars when it's a little bit past that conjunction, like the the conjunction almost being like a, a cleansing, a start of a new cycle. Uh, you know, a little analogous to like a new moon or something. But then we'll see um, when Mars is just a little bit past that. It'll it'll kind of represent uh, like the warrior going out on the journey and the kind of like idealism 
and possible like overzealousness that can come with uh, the kind of like ideas when you're new about something and like still excited about it. Um, so yeah, like people with us placement sometimes will, will be a little, a little idealistic, um, in, um, their like ideas of conflict and how things should go versus Mars on the other side, kind of representing Mars, uh, like the warrior returning home after like seeing a huge battle can be a little more of like the kind of grisly expression of uh, the warrior that's kind of like, oh, I've seen some stuff and it'll like fight if it has to, but it's not as, uh, it's not quite as excited or um, optimistic about things or idealist, I guess. Right. So whether the impulse to fight or the impulse to war is more um, sort of going out and looking for a fight versus more reluctant and more maybe withholding of that. Yeah, but can also be more experienced in some ways as well. And it's also a little like, I mean, coming across a young rattlesnake versus an old rattlesnake, you know, they're less likely to bite when they're older. Hmm. And then, yeah, that whole retrograde aspect in the middle kind of being like, once you actually get into the battle and realize that a lot of the ideas you had about the rules uh, and how things should go and how things would be don't necessarily match up um, to all the plans that you made at the beginning. You might have to get a little bit scrappy. You might have to like retreat and replan things a little bit. Um, it can also be, yeah, Mars retrograde being a little bit harder to predict or control necessarily. Um, but yeah, I just think looking at that whole cycle for Mars, especially, uh, and being about like how you fight and what sort of conflicts you come into is being really interesting. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And just so the, especially the morning star phase when it's rising before the sun versus the evening star phase when it's coming out into view in the evening after the sun sets. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. So, somatic cycle, and then that's tied in with the 15 year cycle where the planetary period or the primary planetary period associated with Mars is uh, 15 years. So, it'll repeat and be roughly in the same place um, in the zodiac every 15 years as the sun, approximately on the same day in like 15 year increments. Yeah. So it's not quite as close as Venus, where Venus will do that and only be like two degrees off, but roughly speaking, it's somewhat close in the zodiac. All right, so we're back after a little break. Um, so we're pretty far into this episode, but I wanted to do one last thing, which is just to try to go through Mars's placement through each of the 12 houses, starting with the first house and just talk about some possible manifestations and Obviously, that's not going to be comprehensive, but it might at least give people a starting point for understanding what Mars's placement in the different houses could mean or some different scenarios that could come up, just again to give you people another perspective on what Mars means in astrology. Cool. Okay, let me pull out a 
diagram from our poster and from our houses episode that just shows the significations of the 12 houses. So the first house is traditionally associated with the self, the body, the character, and the appearance. So that's one of the houses that we've already talked about of Mars in the first house, and sometimes that relates to the person's character, and they can have a more Martian or Marshall-type character if Mars is in the first house, so they can be more um, impulsive, they can be more forthright. Um, sometimes that can go in an extreme of being more um, you know, more pushy or more Martian in a sort of aggressive sense. Um, other times it could be, you know, more courageous or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, we gave some examples of that one already. But um, yeah, the friend who just said, I don't know, I've been stabbed a bunch of times, who has Mars on the first, um, when asked about uh, if he had any scars on the head. Yeah. Or my other friends, one of which was just like, um, sometimes just had a tendency to get little accidents of like bumps and bruises and burns and things like that. She was always getting herself into into trouble. Um, so those are some of the different ways, physically speaking, or in terms of the first house, where it can be the first house has that duality of being about the body and the mind and the meeting point between the two. So it can really relate to either one. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's move to the second house. So the second house is the place of um, finances, possessions, and income. So some Mars second house manifestations can be like um, being impulsive about spending money, like spending money very quickly. Um, I know that's one I've seen. What have you seen with that placement? Yeah, like. Uh- that that term burning a hole in your pocket um, right. about things that cost you a lot of money is very martial. But also people who um are really like active about getting possessions. Like a lot of times people will spend a lot, but they'll also uh be really aggressive about making money as well. Mm, right. So I think I've seen in some chart um just actual collections of like swords. Right, of possessions. <laughs> Something really like, literal like that. Yeah, having sharp things in one's possession um, or your prized possession being like a sword collection or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sometimes that can be problematic if, like, I, I know I've seen, I think, like, um, there were news stories a few years ago about like Johnny Depp being in like financial troubles because he had like spent money so impulsively and like lavishly on stuff. That he had almost like a spending problem or something like that. And he had Mars in a day chart in the second house. So I thought that was an interesting, interesting um placement and like manifestation of that. Oh yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, so a Mars, let's say transit though through the second house could be on the one hand, let's say constructively a period of putting a lot of work into making more money and making more money as a result of hard work. During that period, like let's say doing pulling overtime hours at your job, where it's like you're really putting in and you're extending your energy levels and your vitality and pushing them as far as they can go in order to bring in greater income during that time. Or alternatively, let's say a bad manifestation could be like losing money suddenly um, due to something like like getting robbed on the street or something like that. Yeah. Also, um, I see a lot of people. Just getting sick of all their stuff and getting rid of it, 
just taking everything to goodwill during that time. Yeah, uh, that would be maybe even impulsively throwing it all away. Right, or somebody uh, maybe that's like the classic person who comes home and their partner is like throwing all their stuff outside and like throwing a match on it and lit <laughs> it on fire or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a really yeah. exciting manifestation. Yeah, I would be like writing down that down in the journal if that was the case. It's one of the classic like astrologers more interested in how well that manifestation has turned out than in having lost all their stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a remedial measure to me. Right, just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got to be careful about what I uh, advocate for on here. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so let's go to Mars in the third house. So the third house traditionally can be things like siblings or some relatives and extended family, but also short trips, um, school, education, and communication. Yeah. Um, yeah, just running all around town with that transit a lot of times. Or sometimes um, problems with uh, like modes of tra- transportation, like I've seen um, – Difficulty with vehicles coming up then. Yeah, like your car breaks breaks down. Or um, alternatively, somebody like breaks into your car and like steals your stuff. Yeah. Or yeah, fights within the community. Although sometimes yeah. like um, you know, positive manifestations can be like um, say like organizing your community to fight against something. Like, you know, say some some sort of thing is gonna come through, like maybe they wanna um like shut down some business or something that you really care about. So kind of uh, fighting with community as well. Yeah, definitely. Alongside. Taking action or organizing or even like leading uh, community efforts in your neighborhood can be like a third house thing. Or um, siblings is a really common third house manifestation. And it can be like conflict or separation with siblings or like a fight with your siblings or um, what would be like a constructive manifestation of like a third house sibling transit? Mm, deciding to do a triathlon with your sibling. <laughs> right. Uh, could be one, but I mean, also like uh, doing some sort of construction project together um, mm. could be an example. Yeah. And sometimes when it comes to transits, it's like it can be something happening in that sibling's life that it doesn't even necessarily have to do to you. It's just like something indicated in your chart that's happening in their life. Um, so it can be, you know, that sibling doing that and being the one that runs the triathlon or or something like that. Yeah. I think I've literally had that happen to me. Like I, I didn't talk to my brother for a long time and then that's when I, I talked to him. He's like, oh yeah, I won the triathlon. I was like, what triathlon? <laughs> um, but also he's made me do triathlons before. Nice. Okay. So yeah, that can be another thing is the person represented by the house, like dragging you into that thing. Um, so that's how you get involved in the manifestation of that placement. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's pretty good. Um, it can also be, since third house is also communication, it can be the double-edged sword of communication that we talked about with Mercury before in terms of like getting into verbal arguments or being more assertive in speech during that period than you might be in other times in your life. Yeah. All right. 
Um, let's move on to the fourth house. So the fourth house is like parents, home, family, and private life. Um, so this can be sometimes like separating from your home and living situation, uh, which can be positive or, or negative. It can be also like severing or cutting away from your roots in some way or like your parents or your family. Yeah. Um, yeah, my mom has Mars in the fourth house and um, she is the first person in her family in like the last 250 years to uh to move away from like the kind of circle around this one farm. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um so sometimes it can show also like conflict with the parents or one of the parents can be like a really martial or like Marsy type character in terms of being like really assertive or aggressive or combative in some instances. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely come up. Um but then there's also things like my mom's um parents were uh her dad was a farmer who worked like super super hard and was like Mars in that way. Um and then her mom was a nurse who uh worked with a lot of people who had been in accidents and things like that. So That makes sense. Yeah, some of those things can and come through. Yeah. So sometimes the family member can take on a profession of Mars and be like in the military, like you come from a military family or um, you come from a family of iron workers or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it sometimes too. I mean, this is like a common thing, but people who, uh, if they have conflicts, if the fourth house kind of represents like what's a little more hidden, uh, there's somebody who really doesn't like to do them out in the open. They kind of wait until uh, they're in a private place when they can settle those things. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So preferring to act in private rather than like the, let's say the tenth house, which would be maybe preferring to act in public. Mm-hmm. All right, that's pretty good. Um, let's move on to the fifth house. Fifth house is. Uh, like things like children, creativity, pleasures, and also sex. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, it's a house that makes sense with the kind of like impulsiveness um, of Mars. So, like wanting to have a good time, right? Um, and sometimes that leads to kids, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, kids, and then also just uh, sometimes like games, like it's pleasures, but also that which a person does for pleasure or for relax, for entertainment, or something like that. So somebody that enjoys doing something martial, um, like sports or like athletics for fun or something like that. Yeah, I see a lot of people who really just like sports with that placement. <laughs> right. Um, so sometimes the children thing can come up in a Mars context where either the person's children can end up becoming martial in some sense if Mars is in the fifth house. Um, so let's say like your child goes into the military or something like that when they get old enough or as soon as they get old enough. Or sometimes if there can be issues of like severing or separation with the, the children in some way. Yeah. 
yeah, those things definitely happen. Um, and I think Mars is like, you know, going back to it, representing toddlers, it can be really interesting to watch in kids because that kind of like nature of Mars being difficult to hold back, like kids have even less practice and are even more like forthright with whatever their emotions are. So like watching it by transit, um, can see a lot of times like the kids being a lot more, um, of like a, a handful during those times. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right. So let's jump from the fifth house to the sixth house, which we talked about a little bit um, in terms of like throwing yourself into your work. Um, so traditionally, some of the sixth house associations in ancient texts were things like illness, injuries, but also work and subordinates. Um, work and subordinates is funny because sometimes if a person like owns a business or is in charge of like a group of people, uh, like a Mars transit can be, or, or or placements in the sixth house can be about their relationship with people that like work below them. And if there's like challenging Mars placements there, that can be like conflict with people that work for you or work under you in some way. Yeah, and that's that's interesting with so many of the ancient texts talking about Mars being like uh people who work under the king or, you know, kind of generals or people who are not like quite in charge, but they're they're answering to somebody else and, and like um, you know, just taking orders and Mars again having its joy in that house. Um Right. Yeah, for sure. Um so sometimes in addition to characterizing things about like work and one's job um, or having to put extra energy into that, um, the sixth house is also the house that has to do with sometimes physical things. So it can indicate if there's like a transit going through there, um, a period in which some sort of Mar Mars type um, physical issues can come up during that time. So we've talked about different things like that in terms of like injuries or ailments related to Mars. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting one where it can kind of go either way because um it can also tend to be more proactive than say like a benefic in that house uh when there is a health issue um and kind of indicate like oh I'm going to take care of this now before it becomes something that kind of like impetus of Mars becomes productive there. But then it's also a planet that um can cause things as well. Um yeah. Or, or coincide with a period of things like that happening um, in terms of like a Mars-related um, ailment of some sort or a Mars-related injury. Yeah, I've also noticed um, it being you know one of the dark houses. Uh, a lot of times, Mars when it does represent um, health issues or uh, something like that, it'll the problem will start at the beginning of the transit, but it won't really be apparent until it actually leaves that house. Mm, um, okay. Yeah, which is, which is sort of interesting. So if Mars is transiting that house, I usually, you know, kind of advise that people be extra proactive about um, like pursuing and looking into anything that like potentially could be a health issue. It doesn't mean that it necessarily is going to but that kind of attitude of like, oh, it's probably no big deal um, during those times, you know, it's it's good to be a little, a little more on the cautious side. Right, for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
All right. I think that takes us into the second half of the houses. Um, so Mars in the seventh house. The seventh house is traditionally things like relationships, partnership, marriage, and how one relates to other people in their life, or just the generic category of the other as opposed to the first house, which is the self. Uh, so how does that how do you see that working out? Um uh, well, I just recently um, from the the Vedic traditions that I just started working in, learned about the condition called Marnaka or Kastana. Um, mm-hmm. So it's almost like opposite the planetary joys and places where the planets really don't like to be. And Mars is considered Marnaka or Kastana in the seventh. And it's basically like the planet of conflict doesn't like to be in the house of like relating to others. Um so right. that can be a pretty difficult place for Mars. I think you know you don't you don't want to have to fight with the people that you're closest to. Yeah, isn't there like a condition that's become like well known with Mars in certain houses, like the seventh and a few others? That's called Kuja Dosha or Mangalik Dosha or something like that. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with that. I'm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think it's just related to the same idea, though, of just the notion of Mars indicating conflict or separation, and being in the marriage house potentially could indicate um, conflict or, or separation when it comes to marriage or relationships as a possible manifestation. Um, but other more constructive indications can be just the partner being a Martian or, or Martial type character. Uh, like an athlete or you know a soldier or some other like Mars type profession. Yeah. And I think like the the Mars capacity to like put in work um can sometimes be useful there because like relationships really take a lot of work. And it, it goes into this notion of like, you know, malefic planets can seem bad a lot of times, but when you get into a really like rough scenario, sometimes it's good to have um a planet that can handle a little more like trials um, is a little has a little more like willpower to see things through and uh, do the work necessary to make stuff um, good again. Yeah, that makes sense. So putting in work when it comes to relationships, or maybe even like working with the partner and like activity and action being an integral part of the relationship, like. You know, couples who like work out together—that would be like a pretty straightforward, like Mars in the seventh manifestation. Yeah, um, yeah, that's definitely a thing. And then also, you know, the seventh being like seeing clients, and you can tend to tend to have clients show up who have more of like martial issues or just kind of more martial lifestyles. And then, of course, you know, sometimes it can just go onto the like full-on um, lawsuits. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So yeah, the seventh being like open enemies, right? Yeah, that can be so encountering Mars in other people when that placement is activated, or if it's a transit, like some Mars type situation or Mars type person coming into your life that you either have a there's a lot of energy and energy expenditure surrounding or in which there can be like conflict or separation surrounding that person. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, so that's the seventh house. Moving on to the eighth house, which is traditionally things like um, issues surrounding death or mortality, but also inheritance and, generally speaking, the assets that belong to others, including like the assets of the relationship partner, the mar marriage partner, because it's the second from the seventh, but also just this general category of other people's money or other people's things. Um, which is interesting as general category. One of the ones that comes up that I'm often I forget about and I'm surprised about is um, taxes. And sometimes if you have like a Mars transit through the eighth house and getting hit with like a big tax bill can be a negative uh, manifestation of that. Yeah, I've definitely seen some of that stuff come up. Yeah. Um, let's see. So. Uh, one of the things surrounding that can be like because the eighth can indicate inheritance, a Mars placement there could indicate like a conflict surrounding inheritance within like a family or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen that, um, and just by uh, transit, it can show people who um, just really don't want to be dealing with other people for a while. If you have it in your birth chart, I think there can be more of a tendency to like use it constructively and kind of a, like a practice with conflict in those areas, but by transit it tends to look like people who just really don't want to have to deal with the logistics of doing things alongside other people or sharing stuff. Mm -hmm. I went on a road trip with somebody um one time who was having this transit and they were they were very openly super sick of doing group projects by the end of it or having to think about everybody else's needs before they could go anywhere. Right. That makes sense. But um, then, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I also, um, one of the other uh, 1988 uh, Pisces people who have that, uh, Stellium and Capricorn is a friend who has that in the eighth. And um, uh, he, became a parent, um, like as in a father, not a parent as invisible, um, uh, unexpectedly at one point and, um, just got really, really into like working to kind of like provide for this like family all of a sudden and is like really, really motivated by, um, getting resources for other people, um, and making sure he's like a reliable person. Nice. So, yeah. That makes sense. Um, all right. So let's see, moving on to, I'm not going to get into some of the other like mortality things. That's going to be a whole separate episode at some point where I'm going to tackle that. And I've been meaning to tackle the traditional like length of life technique and some of the debates and issues surrounding that in Eastern and Western traditions. Um, which is actually one of the things about, interesting things about the Vedic tradition is don't they sometimes treat the eighth house as having to do with um, like vitality and longevity or things like that? Yeah, I can. But I mean, I should also say, you know, I've I've been studying this tradition for a pretty short amount of time. I'm still very much like okay. a student at the beginning, so I'm not I'm not a representative of it. Okay, understood. Um, all right, so moving on to the ninth house, uh, which is the house that traditionally signifies things like travel. All things foreign uh, relative to the natives, like initial culture, uh, education, and also religion or philosophy. 
So what are some Mars in the ninth house manifestations? Exorcisms. Exorcisms, okay. <laughs> Just that, no. Um, yeah, um, I've seen a lot of people with this one um, go to school for uh, martial things or simultaneously like it can be going to school for something unrelated to Mars, but then ending up kind of challenging um, their professors or the kind of like institutions themselves. Um, yeah. Sometimes that doesn't work out well. It can be like leaving school prematurely, like a separating, severing or separation um, from one's education before it's completed, like a cutting off. Yeah. Um, and I, I know another person who, actually I know um, several of the tattoo artists I worked with um, have Mars in the ninth and um, have like tattooing as a very spiritual practice for them um, and incorporate a lot of that into it. Um, another good example of this is, uh, um, I, I mentioned her earlier, but Claire Gallagher, um, who goes by the body astrologer. Um, and she shares her chart a lot, so I'm assuming this is fine. But um, yeah, she has uh, Mars in the ninth, and she sets up exercise programs as um, as a form of ritual, um, and talks about like exercise as being something something different than like what it's been, you know, kind of marketed by like the vast majority of the kind of like health and wellness um, community. That's actually not necessarily always that healthy or good. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really cool example. Yeah. Um, ninth house stuff can sometimes indicate um, conflict when it comes to one's religion or belief system, which can sometimes mean like maybe like growing up with one religious background, but having to separate yourself from that at some point or having some sort of difficulty surrounding that that causes you to have to like go out your own way in some sense or sets you apart from where you originally started. Um, I've seen like an instance of somebody that, for example, like grew up in a cult, but had to like leave that at some point when they got became an adult and decided to like separate themselves from that. Yeah. Um yeah, I've seen some of that. There's I forgot the passage again, but I think. I'm pretty sure it's Firmicus again has another good uh description of this being kind of like um this like heretical some sort of defiant person. His description's really beautiful and good for it, but I can't remember what it is now. Yeah. Um yeah, that's a funny one. Um and then also just uh sometimes if travel and if like you run into problems while traveling. That can be like a Mars transit type thing, like that one trip you take that just like does not go very well while Mars is transiting through your ninth house. Yeah, yeah, I always have a ton of um, a ton of issues whenever Mars transits my ninth. Yeah, just as far yeah, pretty much just related to travel alone though. Sure. All right, um, that brings us to the tenth house, which is career um, actions. But also reputation and one's public life, as opposed to the fourth house, which is one's private life. So, 
Um, tenth house can be like Mars-related careers, which we've already touched on extensively. Of things like, you know, being in the military, being a soldier, being an athlete, um, or other types of Mars-related professions, where the archetype of Mars gets channeled through the career or through, in some instances, just the public reputation. Yeah. But then definitely goes into like uh, the reputation being challenged somehow. Um, or, yeah. you know, the inverse of the fourth house being like challenging something publicly. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what's that saying where there's like, there's no any publicity is good publicity or something like that? <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's always true, but I think definitely a Mars type, Mars in the 10th house would be the one that would attempt to use that strategy more of sometimes like creating a controversy in order to advance one's own interests, let's say. Yeah. I think the 10th house um, really helps illustrate the difference between um, kind of like day versus night charts as well. Um, you know, if, if Mars is like crimes, um, and the middle of the day, things tend to be more visible uh, as kind of like, you know, sometimes when they say they committed this crime in broad daylight um, or just, you know, in a way that a lot of people saw, it's considered even more like brazen than mm. been done. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, well, and sometimes like Mars in the 10th house can be using Mars type things as one's career. So, yeah, that could be things like uh, crimes or, or what have you, if it was that manifestation of Mars. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, but as, as a transit, sometimes Mars through the 10th house can be things like having to put in extra energy at work or in order to further one's career in a constructive sense, or it can be having a severing or a separation from one's career in a more potentially challenging or negative sense in like getting fired from one's job, for example. Yeah. Or it can be, um, yeah, just deciding that on your own and kind of representing like deciding to be an entrepreneur or something or being like, um, yeah, just all of a sudden that Mars like saying no and severing from things and just being like, I'm sick of all of this. <laughs> I hate my boss. Right. I'm leaving. <laughs> I don't care what yeah. anyone thinks. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, or or like conflict with superiors, like conflict with your boss, or which can sometimes lead a person to want or or sort of need to be self-employed so that they are their own boss. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Mars in the eleventh house, which is traditionally the place of friends, groups, alliances, and hopes for the future. So that can be another one that can be a tricky house because sometimes it can give a propensity if it's not well configured to have severing or separations with friends as like a recurring theme in one's life for either reasons that can be due to the native themselves or sometimes that can be completely outside of the native's control. Yeah, I've seen that come up a lot. Um, uh yeah, feeling like kind of ostracized somehow in a group or having yeah, lots of conflict come up. That's one you gotta you gotta find a fight club for that. Okay. That's the constructive is like fighting <laughs> with your friends, the constructive manifestation. Yeah. Um, 
fight conferences, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, what's the, you've mentioned some like positive manifestations of like, um, organizing one's friends in order to fight against something or, or to protest something, for example. Yeah. And, um, I would say that's definitely like a constructive use of that placement. Yeah. Also, yeah. um, critics, I see that come up a lot. Hmm. Okay. Um, because it can be sometimes like your audience, um, uh, yeah, like groups or associations that you're affiliated with and, you know, kind of people who are interested in the same, in the same subject matter as you are can kind of be like associates in a way. And then Mars kind of has that like critical sense to it. Not always in like a negative way, uh, but kind of just in that martial kind of taking things apart a little bit or yeah. Um, critics can yeah. fall under that nature. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that brings up something we didn't talk about a lot, but just the importance sometimes of Mars in um, editing or like you're you saying critiquing, but that made me think of editing and how um, editing, how crucial the process of editing is to, for example, like a film, which like a movie, which is like at the end of it, the director has shot everything and they have all this footage for their movie. And it's like, five or six or seven hours long and the editor's job is to cut out um all but the most essential things and what a crucial process that is like knowing when and where to sever or separate or cut things out and how that's part of um the creative endeavor of almost like the balance between venus is creativity versus mars knowing when to cut something out and when it needs to be removed um, but sometimes it's funny in in film how that's that's sometimes like a difficult process for the director and directors sometimes like getting into having tensions with their editors in terms of thinking that something needs to be left in whereas somebody else feels like that really needs to be taken out and that it's like excessive. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, so just in terms of the constructive or or necessary sometimes function of Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. And finally, the last house is the twelfth house, which traditionally is um, has is the joy of Saturn, and it's associated with things like enemies or uh, sickness or loss or sometimes seclusion. Um, so, what what are your Mars twelfth house associations? Um, like secret enemies for sure. Or just secret problems, uh, even if it's not like a person necessarily, but something something in your life that's acting like an an enemy um, can be an issue. Um, yeah, for sure. Or like conflict with enemies, or I knew somebody that had like a Mars Pluto conjunction in the twelfth, and they had a tendency to focus and obsess on their perceived enemies. Yeah, um, a pretty depressing example of this. Um, uh, that also kind of shows that aspects of sect can be complicated, and there's a lot of things in a chart that have to be considered together. But um, it's a chart of Selena, who has Mars and Capricorn um, in the twelfth in a night chart, and uh, during a twelfth house perfection is when um, 
yeah, her friend actually turned on her and ended up killing her. Um, so yeah, that's an extreme example um, and a pretty depressing note to, uh, end on, but, um, it's a, you know, issues, usually not that extreme, obviously, but, um, issues that can kind of like be in the background or appear to like come out of nowhere, um, in some ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see in another context, more constructive context, it can be working with, um, people that are in those areas, especially sixth and 12th house ones, the positive manifestations can be like, you know, 12th house can be like hospitals and it can also be places of seclusion like jails. Um, but in a, in a constructive context, it can be, um, doing good work in those areas with people that are in difficult circumstances themselves. And in a way that almost becomes the remediation with people with those, those placements is a desire to help those that are in um, difficult circumstances. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That like Mars capacity to fight and the 12th house being a place that represents, uh, a lot of parts of the population that are often um, overlooked. That's a that's a really good one. Um, I know sometimes it also has to do with um, like meditation uh, and those sort of practices. Just like needing seclusion. Um, and uh, I know some people who have this who are really into forms of like uh, movement based meditation. Um, that comes up a lot. I also think about it in just in terms of the twelfth being kind of like alone time and um like you know when you're really angry a lot of times it's just like I just need to go be by myself. I just need to go process this for a while alone. And um yeah, that kind of being like that placement. But then also like you're saying um sometimes it can be like helping other people with the same process. So like helping other people process their anger in some way. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I said it one time um, online, but like the, uh, if the sixth house is often associated with like physical labor, I think about the 12th house as being like emotional labor a lot of times. So kind of dealing with more like martial emotions and, Sometimes you'll see like therapists and things like that have that placement. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. That um, I'd like to see that explored more. Just that distinction between physical things and the sixth house as one of the, the houses that's below the horizon, underneath the earth, and like the physical realm versus the twelfth house being a house that's above the horizon in the more mental or sort of quasi spiritual realm and dealing then with more sort of mental topics. Yeah. I also, uh, I like to think about like part of the reason that the 12th house has like such negative significations is um, it's also a house that doesn't just come up as naturally as some of the other ones. Like the thing I think about a lot is like the 10th house being angular. You might just be on the side of the street and somebody might yell, get a job at you, but nobody just randomly yells like, hey, have you gotten enough rest? <laughs> Have you gotten like, you know, it's like very hard for most people to come across um, 
or make space for alone time or like spiritual well-being or mental well-being. Those are it's it's uh, so planets there can be difficult to kind of create space for. Yeah, difficult to wrap your hands around or to sort of perceive directly. Yeah, I think that's part of why people um, get sort of upset about the notions of like self-care. I'm like, oh, you just need to do this thing for self-care. And it's like, well, yeah, but a lot of people can't, don't actually have like the time or the resources or whatever to get the amount of self-care that they need. So that can, the the sixth and the twelfth kind of being that axis that has to do with like physical and spiritual and mental well-being, um, being difficult for those reasons. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of the 12 houses. So we've gone through every planet combination. We've gone through every house combination. We've talked quite a bit about different zodiac sign combinations as well. Uh, that was pretty, pretty extensive then. And I think we've covered everything related to the planet Mars. Um, so thanks for joining me to tackle this, this big topic today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Is there anything else um, we should have mentioned or that we're going to kick ourselves for not mentioning in this episode when it comes to the planet Mars and its significations and meaning in astrology? Oh, I'm sure there'll be something. Um, and it's like an entire planet, but it seems like a pretty good start. Yeah. And people can let us know um, in the comments below this video on YouTube or on the podcast website if there's something that we missed or other different combinations or manifestations, especially I'd love to hear from people with um, Mars placements either in different houses and how that's worked out for them in unique ways in their life or in certain transits, or even um, combinations with different planets and how that's worked out for them. Um, I always enjoy hearing that stuff because when, there's so many, there's an innumerable amount of different manifestations that there can be, and so it's always interesting hearing it and hearing how it sort of can fit the archetype of different placements, but in new and unique ways that you haven't heard before. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, where can people find out more information about your work, or or what do you have coming up in the near future? Um, I'm still doing readings right now, which you can book through sylvieoslandastrology.com, uh, and uh, I'm also on Instagram as astrology for bros. That's the number four. Um, and, uh, Twitter is the same handle. Um, and then I'm working on, uh, kind of a collaboration right now with, um, uh, my friend who's a photographer who does some sort of like photography around esoteric arts, uh, named Carlos Mogoza of, um, Anima Noctura. So that project's not done yet, but, um, yeah, that'll be coming out. So that's something to look into. And cool. um, since we're doing the Mars episode, I also wanted to talk about um, a good expression of Mars that um, is worth donating to or that um, could use help, um, which is uh, the GNU Collective, um, their bail fund going towards the resistance of um, the line three pipeline right now. Um, and I'll have a link to that in my, uh, Instagram bio for the next while. Um, but you can go to, um, stop line three bail funds.org or, um, in the future, um, if people are listening to this, you can also go to, um, protest law, 
org, um, or you can look up the Center for uh, Protest Law and Litigation. Um, and also, um, if anybody does donate to those things, uh, you can always um, send me a screenshot of that either through email or um, Instagram, and I will send you a link for um, a reading that is half off. I'll be donating some of my own um, to this as well. But um, yeah, it's a really good cause, and um, the legal fees have been pretty intense uh, throughout this campaign. I think some people have they've been getting um, like released, and the bails are going for like tens of thousands. So uh, yeah, it needs a lot of help. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so you'll be doing that, and donating some of the stuff from your readings. And people can find out more about how to get a reading from you and other things related to that through your website, which is sylvieoslandastrology.com. And I'll put a link to that um, either below this video on YouTube or on the description page on the Astrology Podcast website for this episode. Yeah. And um, it'll also, uh, there'll be more er, information on Instagram as well. Okay. Cool. So people can find that on your Instagram page, which is astrology for bros, Instagram slash astrology for bros. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, yeah, I would recommend everyone follow you on Instagram because you have always had really great posts as well as on Twitter. And um, I guess that's it. So thanks, thanks a lot for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks so much. Cool. All right. Thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, please be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a comment below. Otherwise, that's it for this episode. So thanks for watching, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, thanks to all the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, Kristen Otero, and Sanjay Srihari. For more information about how to become a patron and get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes or private subscriber-only podcast episodes, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Special thanks also to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, available at mountainastrologer.com, The Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, AstroGold Astrology Software for the Mac operating system, which is available at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 for a 15% discount, the Portland School of Astrology, available at portlandastrology.org, AstroGold Astrology app for iPhone and Android, which is also available at astrogold.io, and finally the Solar Fire Astrology Software program for Windows, which you can get from alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 for a 15% discount.